Hello everyone, welcome to Tea Time Reports. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Uh, we're going to be reviewing, and I'm joined here by Brandon by the way, we're going to be reviewing the entire 2023 NFL Week 1 opener for everyone's team. It was a interesting week to say the least. To say the least indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to have a lot to cover in this episode, so we're going to try and format it in a way that everyone out there can kind of understand and maybe try and learn. Um, but there's a couple things that are not game-related that we would love to just kind of briefly go over at this juncture. And the first thing of business to talk about, obviously, was Kelsey not playing week one. You know, he has kind that knee the, issue. Yeah, kind of the whole storyline of the game. Honestly. Unfortunately. Well, depending on how you look at it, but I feel like a lot of it has just sort of overshadowed the Lions' win and effort as a whole. It did. Which we'll touch on some more. Um, and then the next order of business was Chris Jones didn't play for the Chiefs yep. in week one, which was another massive thing overshadowing. He was, he was there in attendance with his agent, too. I'm sure there was a couple, like, glance overs and a little smirk, like, <laughs> you see that? You see them? And if he was playing, it was a, it was a different game. Yeah. Honestly, Chris Jones is an X-Factor for that D-line, and he deserves his bag, and I'm glad he finally got it. He got his extension. It was a one-year deal. But another extension kind of discussion that we got to talk about, and this will kind of lead into what we talk about with the Bengals, Brandon. Joe Burrow is the highest paid NFL player ever, and he got his extension. Um, And we'll get into the game. We're going to leave that suspense for everyone out there. Um, But what was it? Over half a billion? Yeah. It was 575, something like that, five years? Just south of 600 million, dude. And I mean, well deserved. I mean, at the same time, is anyone ever really worth this much money? No. No, no. But as far as just the overall market and the way that the NFL works, Joe Burrow deserves it. He is elite. He's an elite talent, an elite leader. He has completely just come into Cincinnati and did a complete 180 for that entire team, organization, fan base, city. They, they care about their football there in Cincy. They have for a long time, and they've had a very, very long stretch of misery. That was just ended in a blink of an eye by Joe Burrow. Facts. And after coming off an ACL tear in his rookie season and an O-line that couldn't protect him if there was a bunch of fucking preschoolers running <laughs> him. And to see, to see what he did and where he's at now and just the, the way he's elevated this team and the players around him, it's just it's better for football as a whole and it's better for the NFL as a whole. And overall, I'm happy with it. He deserves it. And it's still something that is going to work out for the team in a way as far as just like team friendly and how it's structured. I mean, you can still look at the whole T. Higgins situation and he's likely to just hit the free agent market now because there was no talks and negotiations, but then when, since he did come up to him, he said it was just way too low, according to the reports. And it looks like, as of now, that's just a relationship that's long gone. I mean, I don't even think he had any targets week one against Cleveland. He had zero points in fantasy, so it's not. Just, not pointing in the right direction. Yeah, the signs are there. Do what you want with it. But overall, back to the Burrow situation, it's, I'm happy for him. It's, it's good to see. Well-deserved for sure. He's you know one of the only guys to, to beat Patrick Mahomes, to do what you know Josh Allen and Justin Herbert just fucking can't. Jared Goff um, can, though. Jared, Jared Goff, 2-0 against Patrick Mahomes. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, we'll get into Jared Goff. We'll, we'll get into Goff. Don't, we have a lot of Goff talk, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure people are pissed, but who cares? He's a, he's an elite quarterback. He's an elite pocket passer. I'm gonna say that right now. What he was doing against Kansas mm. City, I, I gotta say that, and I I think you all know my opinion, but I want to get Brandon's two cents. But the last order of business 
on the non-game-related non, uh, topics, uh, the Chandler Jones issue in Las Vegas continues to just spiral. Mm. Uh, we're seeing just more cryptic messages on social media. We're seeing straight-up posts about how he hates his GM and coach. Um, that's a guy that I want in the building if I'm a guy like <laughs> trying to you know coach a fucking fu- a football team. He's a very good player. Yeah. And for that defense, they really could have utilized um, Chandler Jones. And having Max Crosby and Chandler Jones coming at both edges of the defensive line is a nightmare, for lack of better terms, for anybody. Any offensive line, any offensive coordinator, any quarterback, let alone. And very cryptic, to say the least. A lot of people are mixed on it. As far as how they feel, like, should you be doing that? Should you not be doing that? Handle it like a man. Go to the front office yourself. Why do we got to exaggerate? Exact, exaggerate? Right? Exaggerate? Exaggerate? Right? Exacerbate. Yeah. To social media and just really bring it out to the, the, the light in the way he has. You know, say what you want about it. If it's something that's, like, really toxic or some shit's really going on to where, like, it's not okay, it should be brought to light. But if it's really something that at the end of the day he's just being a prima donna and it's all a bunch of petty shit, like just handle it like a man. We don't really need to bring all this distraction and all this attention to the team that's going to be just a big negative cloud to everybody. And the Raiders have, we all know, they've had their fair share of that the last couple of years with John Gruden, with Henry Ruggs. And it's just, nobody wants that. I mean, Derek Carr got pushed out of there or pushed, maybe he left on his own accord, but he left, he wanted to leave because of the shit that was going on. And Derek Carr is one of the most genuine, down-the-earth, coolest human beings in the National Football League, man. And if something, And if something like that is going to make someone like that want to get out of there, then you know some shit's going on there. So it does, it does also lead you to understand maybe Chandler Jones' perspective a little bit more. But there's, there's different ways that you can go about handling it. But it's really going to be interesting to see how it gets handled. Does it get traded? Does it get cut? At the end of the day, he's still an elite-level pass rusher in this league, but... Other teams might be seeing this and they're like, oh, we don't want to deal with someone like this in here, you know? I agree. And I think, honestly, it may have come down to, like you said, just toxicity with the front office. But I do have to just point out to all of our listeners out there that this is the Las Vegas Raiders, formerly known as the Oakland Raiders. This organization has not been run smoothly for a long time. It's the bull cut. Um, Yeah. It's the bull cut. It, It really is, bro. And don't get me wrong, they had their success in the 70s, 80s. But they aren't what they used to be. And don't get me wrong, 2002 with Rich Gannon's MVP season, maybe, you know, I know I know a Raiders fan. Raiders fans don't give a fuck about that season. Like, they want actual success. Jimmy G, we'll get into the Raiders, obviously. That's a game I really do want to touch up on because I thought it was very intense down to the wire. Mm. A lot of bullshit with the penalties. But Jimmy G's a winner, so maybe they're trying to bring in that kind of culture. So we'll see. But... Did you want to go ahead and kind of open up with this first game of the 2023 NFL season, which we already did discuss on the podcast, everybody, but Brandon has not been able to get his two cents in about the Lions game, but I do want to kind of go in chronological order, and we'll talk about every game this week one. Yeah, 100%. I mean, NFL kickoff 2023 had, I think, 27 million viewers, 27.5 million, right around that number. Insane. Absolutely insane for... A Chiefs game, which if someone said, oh yeah, $27 million dollars, viewers for a Chiefs game, makes sense. Who are they playing? The Lions. What? Yeah, you, really? wouldn't, you wouldn't expect that. Really? And I mean, it just goes to show how good it is for football that the Lions are relevant again, and they're, as of now, a good team. I mean, it's overreaction week one. We're going to say they're a great team. As of now, they look like a great team. Now, could you have say that 
arguably the Chiefs should have squeaked away with that and would have if they had Kelsey and Jones. Yes. If Kadarius caught two of those four drops, they would have won the game. One of those drops led to a pick six, and it was obvious, uh, honestly one of the most blatant worst drops out of them all. Yeah. And, I mean, shout out to Brian Branch who made the most of his moment. Rookie picked out of you. I mean, that was another thing I wanted to touch on is just the, the rookie impact that you guys have. Sam mm-hmm. reports of five or four to five catches. Um, Jack the, Campbell's Jack first. Campbell's, the, the linebacker, he was all over the field. All over the field, man. His first then, play was that extended pass breakup. Yep. It was amazing. And then Brian Branch making a pick six on Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes' first interception in the season opener game in his career. His first and only. It's also his first loss as a season and, yep. opener. And that just goes to show the type of team that this Lions team is. And the Lions team, in the past, I know this, especially being a Bears fan, I'm sure you know this all too well, the most recent team to go 0-16. Um, they would have found a way to still lose that game Thursday night against that same exact team, Pat Mahomes, receivers that can't catch, no Travis Kelsey, no Chris Jones. They would have still found some way, somehow, to lose that team. But they didn't, and that just goes to show the complete 180 that organization has turned, especially with D- Motor City Dan Campbell, MCDC, as Pat McAfee yeah. calls him, has done. And you can't help but not root for them for those guys. And I'm even saying that as a Bears fan. And I was torn in that game, too. Like, damn, I really want the Lions to lose because they're in our division. Facts. But when they did win, I was like, it was it was refreshing. It, it was, was nice to see. It was nice to see. I enjoyed the game. Jameer Gibbs was fucking electric in his limited amount of time. He's going to be so good, bro. Which, it was expected. People were saying, oh, he sucks, he's a bust, this and that, just because of his fucking fantasy output. It was said from the start he was going to be limited. You should just already expect a rookie running back to be limited. Even if you took, what was it, the 12th overall pick on him? Something uh, like that, a oh, high, yeah, high first-round pick on him that nobody thought was going to be taken. But he's fucking electric. He's elusive. Whenever he has the ball, you're on the edge of your seat just waiting for something to happen. I know. Every single play, he was spinning and bouncing off people and juking people. It was fun to watch. And a little intimidating to watch as well, being a Bears fan, especially a Monroe St. Brown picking right up where he left off last year. That Jared Goff and a Monroe connection is a thing of beauty. I've never seen so much confidence out of Jared Goff dating back to even his days at Cal when he was making a name for himself and led to being the number one overall pick, you know? And you gotta you gotta be happy for the guy. Yeah. You're like if you hate Jared Goff, you're just a hater. Yeah, I there's, agree. There's no reason to hate Jared Goff. Dude, man. remember that one picture? Don't be hating. Don't be hating, man. That's his thing, bro. He I was I was impressed with what I saw from him. Yes, there was a Chris Jones list defensive front for the Chiefs, but the way he was just stepping up in that pocket, making throws, taking hits, and still throwing it on the money. And Bro. was not backing down. And on a hostile environment, week one, open night, Arrowhead, Arrowhead Stadium, he was up for the challenge. And you can see the confidence that Dan Campbell has not only instilled in his quarterback, but just his entire team as a general. Having Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on the defense is huge. He's... A great player. Led the league in interceptions last year. He's a great locker room guy. He might let his emotions and his temperament get the best of him sometimes. But, Facts. But you like that. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. He wears his heart on the sleeve on the field. And he's going to leave 110% out there every single time, every single snap. And that's what the Lions are all built on nowadays. And it's it's scary. The, the lead should be on notice. And I think the lead is on notice. But you can't also ride too high on them because, like, we've agreed on, 
Should have lost that game. They should have, but when you give them any slight of chance, bro, they're going to take advantage of it. And the one thing I did want to say was not only Jameer Gibbs, uh, me and Logan talked about this, but you guys can check the receipts. I firmly believe Brad Holmes was so goddamn excited at that pick, and Mm -hmm. he was slamming the desk because he's like, dude, I got a skinnier but more agile Todd Gurley in this guy. Mm. And, like, he looks exactly the same. Brad Holmes is probably one of the best GMs of this century. I just want to put that out mm. there, like, right now. Like, he's drafted just studs. Penesuel, Monroe St. Brown. Brian Branch in the second Brian round, Branch. who I had in the mock drafts going 10 overall to the Eagles. My mock drafts on yeah. the pod. I had him going at number 10. Yeah. Like, I think Hutchinson. they stole him. Josh Paschal in the second round last year, who had a great TFL. Like, all these guys are actually outputting and showing mm. production. And I just think it's all finally coming together. We just needed this new youth of burst. And, you know, especially in the skill positions like tight end, you know, a running back who we're not going to use as a power back. That's David Montgomery's, you know, capability. Let's use Jameer on those stretch plays, on those outside plays mm-hmm. that can actually get him that space. And then Sam Laporta and Brock Wright, you know, have them both out yeah. there. Fuck it, it works. La- Laporta out of Iowa, tight end you right next to Notre Dame, honestly. I would take Notre Dame still, but a lot of people, they can go hand-in-hand. I was known for producing great tight ends. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, eh, he didn't really pan out in the NFL, but a very, very good and talented tight end. Absolutely. And Sam Laporte is just going to be following along that same line. I did want to ask you, and, you know, this is something I didn't talk about a lot, you know, much as, I, as much as I should have, but the leading receiver, you know, not with the touchdown, but was Josh Reynolds. And I was just about to bring him up, um, too, because he's playing... I With think a little bit had... more playtime because of Jamison Williams being suspended, but he's uh, someone that actually did catch my eye. He, I think lot. he had the best game of his career. Because mm. um, he's been playing with Goff since, their, since Goff's their rookie LA. year. Or LA, St. St. Louis, whatever. And fun fact, Josh Reynolds caught a touchdown in that masterful Thursday night football game, the catch-up versus mm. mustard game in, against the Chiefs. So this this chemistry has been working. and. Mm. I was I was showing Rush the highlights of the game too, and he's and I, he had no idea who Josh Reynolds was or anything. Mm. But he's like, dude, that guy's quick for how big he is because he was making sharp cuts and just getting open on those crossers. And man, like if all I gotta say is he did have that one screen pass drop, but I'm glad he dropped it. It would have been a TFL. Yeah. But that connection, as long as it's there, like I think we're okay at wide receiver. Yeah. Like he, you really are. He hit five catches for like 87 yards or something like that. Amon Ra is a solidified top 10 receiver. I agree. If you think otherwise, you're just... You don't know the game. You don't. And you're just being naive to the fact that the Lions in this offense hasn't been mainstream or just talked about the same way that maybe Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs or Justin Jefferson and those players do. He's not He's not a flashy player for no. the most part. But he will have flashy plays. But he's going to create separation. He's going to make hand catches. And he's going to fucking expose DBs on a game in and day out, game out basis. Can I say this? I when I you know first saw Amon Ra's rookie year with Goff in that three and thirteen in one season, and it was rough to watch. Don't get me wrong, mm. not Amon Ra, but just the whole team. It was very rough. I'm like, this guy reminds me of Cooper Cup. Mm. Like Jared Goff played with Cooper Cup, kind of you know did that you know kind of like early stage of development with Cooper yeah, Cup yeah, when he was yeah. a young boy, and. 
Amon Ra reminds me of that. A very technical route runner, not the fastest, not the strongest, but a sure-handed catcher. Mm. Will do whatever he can to win those contested exactly. catches. And just an overall baller. Yeah. Has that dog in him. He's, he does. He, and the I'm sure you've seen the story about he has the list of every single receiver in every college that was drafted before him. And you look at that list now, you're scratching your head wondering how there's fucking general managers that have these jobs. I mean, everyone <laughs> has their miss. Ryan Poles missed on Vilas Jones. Everyone has their miss, but it's like, Nico you're Collins, seeing some of these bro. names, and you're just like, how in the genuine flying fuck <laughs> were any of these players drafted before Monroe St. Brown? They're like, biting their words now, man. It makes no sense. It, it really doesn't. But the, overall, what a success that game was for the league, for football, for the Lions as a whole, and it, it really just set us up for a great season, but it was the perfect... Maybe not perfect, but it was a great just overall intro into the rest of the weekend that we saw the highest of the highs from teams and the lowest of the lows from other teams. I don't think there's ever been such a wide range of disparity in a week one in, in my lifetime since I can remember watching the National Football League. You have one, like we just touched on the Lions game, then you have the Dallas... We're going to go in order, obviously, with these games, but you have the Dallas Giants game where it's 40 to nothing and it's just the absolute most miserable performance you've ever seen out of the Giants. You have the Bears' performance with everything that led up in that game. So you have all these lowest of the lows, the Bengals as well, losing 24-3 to to the Browns. Yeah. And it was a really tough condition game on the road, in the doghouse, dog pound, whatever you want to call it. But from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs, like the, like the Lions, like the Cowboys, like the Browns, it's it's really I mean and then I didn't even touch on the Aaron Rodgers situation and the Jets which we're gonna save mm. for the last but there's just never been such a wide range of just I don't know whether it's disparity or just the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows it's really crazy it but, is but moving into the first game of the 1 p.m. slates it was the New Orleans Saints and the Tennessee Titans I think it was in New Orleans in the Caesars Dome New Orleans came out on top 16 to 15. Didn't really watch the highlights of this game along with a lot of the other games. I was just looking at the box score, looking at articles. Chris you Olave. Still, you just still get the gist of it. Chris Olave balled out in his first game with Derek Carr. Chris Olave was a sleeper pick in fantasy that I did not get in any of my leagues, but was the first sleeper pick on all my lists. Really bummed about that. I think him and Derek Carr are going to go off this year. And that offense, it still has a lot to figure out. It really did stall at times. But Derek Carr is coming into a new system. They're not really the most prolific type of offensive attack either. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how they pan out. Once tomorrow comes back week three, week four, we don't really know what he's going to be. But he's still a dynamic difference maker that can hurt you receiving handoffs out of the backfield or receiving passes out of the backfield. You still have Michael Thomas, slant boy there, which as long as he's healthy, it's still Michael Thomas. He could just be a shell of himself. But you never really know. Yeah. Chris Olave is a solidified wide receiver one in this league, and I'll stand by that. But they just edge out the Titans. One thing that did catch my mind is the defense of the Saints really stepped up to the plate and honestly just shut down Derrick Henry for the most part. He did not have a Derrick Henry s game. One of those like high carries, very low volume type of games. Like I think it was in the twenties for carries, only like eighty some yards. That's not a Derrick Henry type of game. And if you can hold that stat sheet for Derrick Henry. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be coming out winning that game. And if the Saints' offense was gelling and was in a groove, I think the score would have been a lot different. 
I agree. In a way, but... It also just also raises questions about the Titans' defense. Mm. Is Vrabel going to potentially be on the hot seat if he doesn't figure out some kind of offensive conclusion? I don't know, because they, they literally did... They fired guys in the past that were doing okay, doing yeah. solid, but just couldn't get over the hump. And these guys... This is a team that went 13-3. and three And, and was in an AFC Championship. Had a number one seed. Shot at Super Bowl. And... I mean, I think Vrabel's still one of the best coaches in all of National Football League. I think it's going to take a lot for him to be on the hot seat. But, I mean, they might have an identity issue with their offense right now. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Derrick Henry and running that type of offense is only going to take you so far. You've got to have someone that can make passes out of the pocket to your receivers. DeAndre Hopkins had a really impactful first game with the Titans. Had six catches, I think 13 targets. So you can tell he's going to be the sole, the sole driving point in that passing attack. Traylon Burks was really good. I think he's dealing with some injury problems. Not quite sure how he did in this game, but, I mean, they're tied in, and Kwonwu, however you say his name, sorry for butchering <laughs> that, he was held just zip, nodded nothing on the stat sheet. He's a talented tight end. He really is, but the offense just sort of stalled out, and the, the Saints defense really just came up to the plate and just really showed up and showed out. But at the same time, as week one. It's really hard to just make a read on all these types of games. But some harder than others. I agree. But um, was there anything that stood out to you from this game at all? The stat sheet, watching highlights, any maybe Derek Carr's performance? Honestly, Derek Carr did stand out to me on the stat sheet. I was not able to watch uh, this game live either. But, you know, just based on Chris Olave's performance, it's clear to see that the pass attack for the Saints is working. But, um, again, I'm not really going to be – I'm not scared of either of these teams. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm, if I'm a Bucks fan right now – you know, maybe a little bit of the Saints' pass attack, but, you know, we, we touched on it. Their rush attack is a little one-dimensional right now. Um, but, you know, maybe their defense show, their defense obviously showed up to shut down Derrick Henry. Yeah. So it's going to be a little scary seeing that defense as a Bucks guy. But Actually, let me, let me retract on that. Derrick Henry only had 15 carries for 63 yards. And I was, I was off by one catch for Hopkins. He had seven catches. Ryan Tannehill was 16 for 34 Sub 200 yards, three interceptions. That's terrible. He needs to be benched next and week. That's, and, they just need to put and that's another question that is, is Tannehill's time up with it, the Titans? I think it's been up since he lost that game with three picks in the AFC Championship mm-hmm. game. But I will say this. And they play the Chargers next week. They're getting obliterated by Justin Herbert next week if they could only produce 15 points. Don't get me wrong. Both teams should be a little ashamed of their performance based mm-hmm. on offense. Um but it was definitely, it looks like a gritty game on defense. Yep. So that may have been a causing factor. But honestly, these two teams are in a weird, are we rebuilding or are we not mm. phase. So I, I don't know if I have too much confidence in either coaching staff right now or offense. But I know the defenses will always show up to play with these teams. They're always pretty gritty. Um, but again, Derrick Henry, he's getting a little up there. Don't get me wrong. And they've used a lot of his, you know, Energy and his yeah. fucking, you know, his body in the past couple of years. It's going to take a toll on him, man. It really is. And he had he had a forty-six yard catch out of the backfield too. Shout I mean, out to he's, him still, for that. he's still he's still yeah out, he's bro. still doing his thing. But yeah, Derek Carr over three hundred yards. He had a touchdown and a pick. Got sacked four times. So the offensive line is something that's going to catch your eye. Can you look at his yards per attempt by chance? Yeah, he's got a. Sorry about that. I just want to see if he's dinking and dunking. He only had one touchdown and a pick and over 300 yards. He only had 16 points. That's not good. Well, let me just just do the math. They're stalling in the red zone, you know? 
If I did the math right, you averaged 14 yards. Of okay, so never mind. Michael Thomas actually had a relatively good game. Five catches, 61 yards. Had a long of 25 on eight targets. So, I mean, the, the passing attack for this Saints team is definitely going to be prolific. It's mm. just going to be that run game in the O-line. The run game, 27 carries, 69 yards, averaging 2.6 That's yards terrible. per carry. That's not going to win you any type of football at all, especially when you're playing in a division that's, yes, probably the worst division in all of football, but within its own, there's not a lot of parity between all the four teams. And we'll touch on the Falcons as well. The Falcons look like they might be the best team in this division. I agree about that. If they, can, that. If they can figure out their passing game with Desmond Ritter, which he did not have a terrible game by any means. It's just not a threat, but we'll touch into that. Moving into the next game, um, we have Baltimore against Houston. Baltimore came out with a victory 25-9. to some things that caught my eye in this game, obviously C.J. Stroud's debut, Will Anderson's debut, looked probably more promising than Bryce Young did. Just based off reading the box score, I didn't watch any of the highlights, so it's a very loose statement to make. But C.J. Stroud did not look terrible. He passed the ball 44 times. Wow. Which I'm, I'm all for doing that, especially being a Bears fan where nothing – I've seen nothing more in the last few years with our last few quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, than just being too scared to actually pull the trigger and have him pass down the field. That was Mitch Trubisky's whole career. We never actually let him play vertical. We, ever, we never let him pass the ball vertically. We would always do little rollouts to the little flat or little screen balls, and that's exactly what we did with Justin Fields and fucking week one against Green Bay. It's all we did last year with Justin Fields for the most part. And it's, it's just very, very frustrating to just not be able to see what we have in the quarterback that we invested all this shit in, you know? And that's what the Texans are doing. I always think that's a, re- a recipe for success long-term. I mean, everyone always goes to Peyton Manning's stats his rookie season, his first couple seasons as far as interceptions go. It's because he was thrown to the wolves and had to learn the hard way. It's a process. You're not going to expect these dudes to come out here and just learn like that without actual game-time experience and making these decisions in game-time and learning from them. Yeah, because if you're the Texans, I don't care about his stat line. I want to go see, you know, what's he going to do with these 44 yeah. attempts? And you know, is he going to learn from this? Is he going to actually be able to learn about, okay, this is going to happen this way. This coverage is going to work this way. Do I have to layer this ball like this? Do I have to work on my hitch? Mm-hmm. Do I have to work on all my movement? He, and he, he completed 28 of those 42 pa- or 44 attempts. Which is pretty good. 242 yards, so just, just over 8.5 yards per attempt. No touchdowns and a fumble lost. Um, he was only 5 for 10 on attempts for throws longer than 9 yards. So, 50% okay. on throws longer than 9 yards. It is something that obviously we're not expecting to be just astronomically through the roof, but it's like, okay, this is something that we need to start working on with our young quarterback. Will okay. Anderson was very disruptive, finished with a sack and three quarterback hits. Wow. Yeah. What so, a game. Good, good to see that. And I, I mean, I expected this a little bit from the Houston team with, with the new coach that they brought in there. And can I say this about D'Amico Ryan? Mm-hmm. I, I really like him as a coach. I, I think he this is a well-deserved position. Yep. And I think that they are, they're going to go nothing but up. I, not, maybe not this year. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying they, to hide this year. They might be a sneaky year. Lions team in the AFC a few years from now. No, I agree. I think maybe next year we could start seeing them maybe get to that 9-8, and eight, maybe a winning record mm-hmm. type shit for Houston. But this year is going to be a building process. C.J. Stroud did actually look promising. He didn't make any like pretty errant, apparently right. bad decisions. Um, a guy that really didn't look good to me was Lamar Jackson. 
Um, Odell Beckham really Jr. Good. was also fucking. Yeah, I didn't even. Um, I was wrote, he playing? I wrote in my notes OBJ question mark. I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> see him like at all. And that's probably because Zay Flowers was stealing the show. Um, Zay Flowers is one one name that did stand out to me a lot in that Ravens game. Then obviously the whole J.K. Dobbins um, situation that. That breaks my heart, man. He's such a good kid, such a good player, too, man. Was a stud at Ohio State, was a stud in the very limited amount of playing time he's had with the Ravens, but his career is just being derailed by injury after injury. I think it was a, a ACL tear at first, now an Achilles tear. Achilles, that's one of the hardest things to come back from, man. I mean, he's young, his body's a lot better shape than, for example, Aaron Rodgers, who just tore his, but it's just such a shame to, to see that happened, man. Um, Odell Beckham had two catches for 37 yards, a long of 29. So he had one, one, one flash of a play, but other than that, like you said, nobody even really saw that. Lamar Jackson was the team's leading rusher with 38 yards. So there's, if you're a Ravens fan, you're not coming away from this game like very positive and on a on a cloud nine right now. Honestly, if you just look at his passing stats, he lost. I... He lost. He had two fumbles and lost one of them too. Lamar did. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know, man. I, I'm a little worried about. I, I, I get it. Some of these guys are knocking the rust off. It's okay, especially Lamar Jackson. He hasn't played in a little bit, but I'm a little worried about him as a passer. Um, and, and we'll see if he can actually grow and develop with the weapons that they finally got him. There's they, no excuse. Yes, there really isn't now. Zay Flowers is a stud. We know OBJ. Rashad Bateman is a stud. He's got to stay healthy. And they won. And Mark Andrews. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They came away with a win. And a lot of it. There's their defense. Their defense is elite. I think their defense is going to be a top five, maybe top three defense this mm. year. And you're going against a Texas team with a rookie starting quarterback and really nothing else on that offensive side and, of the ball. And a suspect O-line. Exactly. I mean, the names, the only names I know on that offense, obviously Damian Pierce, which had a pedestrian game. Um, Nico Collins had a good game. Nico Collins, and their only other weapon is Dalton Schultz. But when your two weapons are Dalton Schultz and Nico Collins... You're not going to write home about that. And Dalton Schultz had a very, very poor game. But, yeah, going back to their defense, I want to give a shout-out to Roquan Smith. 16 total tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss, and one quarterback hit. Picking right back up where he left off last year. And it's just – it's a shame because they're going to talk about him now so much more than anyone ever would have talked about him in Chicago. But he's doing the same as that shit in LA he was doing with Chicago his whole career with us. But I'm just happy to see him balling out on on a team – in an environment where he's going to get covered, he's going to get the recognition, and he's gotten the money now with that bag he signed last year. Well-deserved. But that, that defense is no joke, and it's going to be carrying them to a lot of wins this season. But, I mean, that's what we expected from the Ravens. I mean, everyone, I think, sort of had the same question going in, like, is Lamar going to be able to take this team to the next level like he was doing his MVP season, take the next level as a passer, then get over that hump as far as, like, winning a playoff game? And nothing that we took away from this week one game answer any of those questions for me or at least made me feel a little bit better about any of those questions. I agree. Um, overall, I think that was kind of like a weird game. I don't, I don't think I got too much confidence from either team entirely, mm-hmm. but I, I do see the upside with the Texans. Honestly, if I'm a Texans fan, I feel better coming out of the game than I do a Ravens fan. I, I, I do as well because I, I feel more confident knowing that I have the upside on my um, with my quarterback that's actually going to be taking chances. It looks like he's getting coached very well and actually put through the right developmental steps. Um, and then on the other side with the Ravens, obviously you have a great defense and you will win games and probably go 9-8, and 10-7. 
But it's just, will that offense be able to win a playoff game if needed to go into a shootout scenario? I do not know. Mm. If you're against a suspect linebacking core like the Texans, I think it's very easy to dink and dunk and get picked apart. But, you know, like you said, Zay Flowers emerged. That's an upside. That's very good. You love to see it. Odell was a little silent. You don't like to see that. Mm. Obviously, he's a little older. But you'd like to see Lamar utilize more of his weapons um, and be a little bit of a more efficient passer. But, again, he had 38 rushing yards, but he had two fumbles. One of them lost. You don't want to ever lose the turnover battle in the NFL because if you do lose the turnover battle, you lose the game. Look at the Chiefs. They lost the turnover battle. They lost the game. The Bills last night. Josh Allen lost the turnover battle. He was throwing punts out there, bro. I mean, let's just be real, bro. I don't know what he was doing, but that's Josh Allen, bro. That's why I have no confidence in the Buffalo Bills. But that's a we're we're gonna talk about that for sure. Um, But what's this next game, Brandon? So moving on, we had the Jacksonville Jaguars going to Indianapolis to play the Colts. The Jaguars coming out with a 31-21 win in a divisional matchup. AR-15, Anthony Richardson's debut in the NFL. Looked good. Looked really good, honestly. I'm not going to say really good, but for as long as, as far as all the rookie quarterbacks, I think Anthony Richardson looked the best. I really do. You can tell that they have someone that they're going to try to build around and someone that's going to be there for a while and someone that's already got the team bought in around him as far as the energy and the passion that he brings and his overall work ethic. There's reports about him showing up to the wee hours of the night at like 2, 3 in the morning getting some practice reps in at the facility or him just staying like 6 hours after practice. So they have a baller there and they have someone that's, I think, a winner just as far as like a personality-wise and and tangibly. But as far as just making it pan out as a passer, only time will tell. He, he stood out to me. Deion Jackson, the running back filling in for Jonathan Taylor, had a fucking awful game. Killed me in fantasy this week. Had a great game against the Jaguars last year as a rookie. Had over 120 yards and a touchdown. Best game of his career. I was hoping he would do the same exact thing, but it didn't really happen. Anthony Richardson's stat line, 24 for 37, 223 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Had 10 carries for 40 yards and a rushing touchdown as well. Once again, you see a rookie quarterback with 37 passing attempts. Another rookie quarterback is being thrusted into a system, sort of just being thrown to the wolves in the way. Let's see what we can have. Let's see what we have out of this guy. Let's see what we can work on with a large sample size, rather than going back to what I touched on before, what they did with Justin Fields, Mitch Trubisky, or other teams do with the quarterbacks. Well, they just dig and duck and just have such a limited passing game to where they only have 15, 16, 17 attempts compared to a 37, 44. You're going to have such a larger sample size to actually evaluate this young quarterback that you're trying to build your franchise around. You know, The tape um, tells everything, man. It does. Um, on the other side of the ball, Travis Etienne balled out. 18 carries, 77 yards on touchdown. Calvin Ridley, welcome back to the NFL, my friend. The fact that you got suspended for a year on this betting shit is absolutely insane compared to Alvin Kamara getting three games for domestic abuse or whatever the fuck it was. Balled out, eight catches, 101 yards, touchdown as well. Trevor Lawrence looked good, great, great completion percentage, 24 for 32, over 240 yards, two touchdowns. Did have a pick, did have a fumble loss as well. Um, so you would like to see him right the ship on that turnover side of things, but I have no doubt in my mind that he will. I'm really high on Trevor Lawrence. I say that because I did draft him in both my fantasy leagues, but <laughs> overall, take that out of it, I'm still really high on him and what he can do for this Jags team, especially with Calvin Ridley coming into the mix 
Um, Tank Bigsby scored his first NFL touchdown as well on a nice little one-yard run. But overall, what I got from this is that this Jags offense is going to be one of the best that we've seen out of this Jags team in a while. Probably one of the best in franchise history, dating back to even the David Gerrard days. Um, man, what about Blake Bortles? <laughs> that that wasn't it, man. He, him and Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, they, they had their moments, but... Yeah, they were a throw away from Super Bowl. They were. They were. Blake away. Bortles had a great season that year. He really did, but he's no Trevor Lawrence, man. But it's just Blake Bortles, you know? I know. <laughs> Who's actually out of the league now at 32, which is yeah. a shame. Yeah. Because his career didn't warrant that. But one thing that caught my mind, or caught my eye with this Jags offense, was the O-line struggle. Um, let me check on how many sacks they gave up. Um, he was only stacked twice, but there were seven quarterback hurries. So the O-line is an issue of concern for the Jags that they will need to start addressing as time goes on. But once again, we'll have to keep reminding ourselves, it is week one. Uh, Michael Pittman had eight catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. So you can already tell that the passing attack is going to run through Michael Pittman. Josh Downs did have three catches for 30 yards. You'd like to see that out of the rookie. But other than that, there really was not much of a threat. Uh, but going back to Deion Jackson, man, let me just put in perspective the game that he had. So he had 18 touches overall, 13 carries, five receptions. He had 28 total yards on 18 touches. Mm, that's awful. 13 carries, 14 yards. That's terrible. Two fumbles lost. Yeah, AR looks good. I, I will say that I have confidence in the Colts, but I have more confidence in the Jacksonville Jaguars and Doug Peterson in that offense. Yeah. I think they're a full sound team. I know in the first half, the Colts kept it close and were pulling away at one point, but it's just Trevor Lawrence has so many weapons. I know Zay Jones had a really good game. Christian mm -hmm. Kirk only had one fucking catch. Um, but e either way, I think that the Jags are really equipped to actually go and compete this year. I agree. Uh, I know the Lions beat them last year, but I, you know, I am scared of that team. I'm not going to lie. That's a good run, full sound organization. Yeah, and when you have someone like Christian Kirk that's only getting one catch – that just tells you that there's a lot of fucking weapons that need to have the ball spread around to them, whether it's ETN, whether it's, say, Jones, Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram had five catches as well. There was um, four or more Jaguars players with four catches or more. Or wow. five catches or more, I'm sorry. And Christian Kirk didn't happen to be one of them, but it just shows you there's a lot of wealth to spread around in, I agree. in Jacksonville. And Trevor Lawrence is the guy to do that. I think they're going to run away with this division this year. I really do. Um Indy, Houston, they're not going to pose any threat to Jacksonville. Tennessee, they're, if there's a team built to beat Jacksonville, it is Tennessee. But as far as the course of the season goes, I think by the time it's all said and done, Jacksonville will finish like three or four games ahead of Tennessee. I agree. Do. Tennessee is just going to have a lot of their victories just come from beating up on Indianapolis and beating up on Houston. But I wouldn't be surprised if they even dropped some of those games too. But, I mean, they have DeAndre Hopkins there. They still have fucking Derrick Henry and who knows what might happen if Will Levis does get thrown in there he was making some pro level throws in preseason but low key they might have the worst situation at quarterback in that division yeah they no they do it's it's high key honestly. yeah it's, it's but, okay it's high key <laughs> now if Will Levis for some reason actually pans out and does the opposite of what a lot of people think or just is a success then it's this conversation we'll have to come back to but as of now yeah by far the worst quarterback situation in that division and that's something that you've never won when you're trying to compete within your own division let alone trying to compete in your conference and in the league yeah 100 percent. what's this next game after jacksonville so we got washington commanders and the arizona this Cardinals. is a game i i fucking want to talk about here for a second because uh well, sam howell sam right howell is, is my guy i've been high on him he had a good game i know he had two touchdowns offensive line let him down 
It, yes. Uh, a, a huge hit knocked him out of the game. Um, but I really... Jahan Dotson had a really nice game. Mm-hmm. You know, not a really nice game, but he had an above-average game, in my opinion. I think yeah. he's going to eat his way into the season. Pick? Yeah. No, he, he showed up and got me some good points. But overall, I think that offense is very well-equipped. Ryan Robinson Jr. did really well as well yeah. for, for you know what they have. I think this is going to be a very gritty team this year. And oh, yeah. Arizona actually fought. I'll give them credit. Their defense surprised me. It did. I mean, at the same time, they're still going up against against Sam Howell, which not going to slight the guy, but first NFL start, you know? And second-year guy, you don't know what, what we're going to get out of this guy. You expect him to sort of have some lumps and some growing pains, but they, they came out, they brought the pressure, and they did not let their foot off the gas. They had six sacks and hit them another three, four times. And that's exactly what you want to do if you're playing a quarterback that's taking his first start in the league. And they executed it well, and they honestly just shot themselves in the foot and lost that game. Yeah. I mean, you still have Josh Dobbs as a quarterback on the other side, so you're not expecting him to really do much. But that was a game the Cardinals should have won. And I actually had the Commanders as my Survivor League pick this past week. And I was biting my teeth at the Rays game, following along with that, seeing, the, <laughs> seeing them down 16-10 in the fourth quarter. I'm like, well, no way, this dude. actually is his second start in the league. Oh, okay. he, he started the final week That's last right. year That's against right. the That's Cowboys right. and won that game That's against right. the starters. So I, I think he battled through adversity there. He was getting hit. His team was not really performing for him. He was making the plays himself, and he got knocked out of the game. Mm-hmm. But they were still able to fucking win. Yep. And I think that you know Ron Rivera, he's a captain. Sam Howell is a captain. So that, that speaks something to his leadership at least. So I, I hope that uh, they're able to get some wins this year because I think Sam Howell is going to be a good quarterback. I, I really do. I hope he is. Change the stigma on North Carolina quarterbacks after Trubisky and before going into this draft with Drake May. Who knows what might come out of that. Joshua Dobbs thrown the ball three times, man. Jesus Christ. James Conner didn't really look that great. Marquise Brown had to run for 29 yards, but no one on that Cardinals team was anyone to shout about. But just a game that... Was just a gritty week one game that no one really gave a shit about. Nothing yeah. really came out of it. It was just sort of there, and didn't really give anyone much fantasy points at all. It was just, it was just there. It was just there. It was just a week one matchup that was just there. Honestly, not much to talk about on that game. So what's the next one we can talk? Actually, this is going to be a good one here. It is. So the next one we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into USA Bank Stadium in Minnesota and upsetting the Vikings. Now in the NFL. Is there really ever any upsets? Because there's still professional athletes against professional athletes. It's not like college where you have a bunch of five-star players going up against three-star players. But you know, once you get into like official odds and shit like that, yeah, officially an upset. Nobody really expected the Bucks to win this game. And I'll, I'll hand it off to you, but before this, what really caught my eye with this was is the magic of winning these one-score games for the Vikings over? It the team that be. was what eleven and one, ten and one in one score games last season. That's not something that is going to translate year to year. And this is a game that the Vikings win a year ago, and they did shoot themselves in the foot. Red zone interception. Kirk, fumble. bro. Kirk but, was awful. Can I say that? I just I I, I think Kirk you Cousins think he was awful. Yeah, he botched a snap and then fumbled another one. He was terrible. Now 
I would say those moments were terrible, but I wouldn't say his overall performance no, in that no, game was I, terrible. I'm being rude. He had dimes, don't get me wrong, to Justin Jefferson. I mean, he, still, but, he, he passed 33 for 44, 44 yards, two touchdowns. Dude, for 80% of those yards, bro, the receiver was wide open. Yeah. He was dropping he was dropping a bucket in there. Like The, the Buccaneers' pass defense looks awful. Yeah. I'm going to say that right now. Shout out to Jordan Addison for his first career touchdown, four catches, 61 yards. Which was nasty, by the way. I don't know if you got to see it, but he powered... Um, he powered his way into the end zone. It was really nice. Over a, one of our undrafted rookies out of Rutgers. But mm. um, either way, the Bucks should have lost this game. Baker Mayfield had a terrible first half. He did. Uh, and then he kind of like somehow did something, you know, in, in halftime. Maybe he did a P40. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, bro. But like Aaron Rodgers says it works. So maybe Baker there Mayfield tried it out. And he was like, dude, He came this... out with some dog in him in that second half. Dude, he did. That, that laser to Mike Evans. That's what I want to see out of him, bro. Yeah. And, and he, a resurgence, you, if you will. Did you see that clip where he was like stiff arming the defensive yeah. backs? Like, get your weight up. Yeah, get your weight up, boy. I love that confidence. I love it. You know, it may not translate to too many wins, but he could be a legitimate placeholder for this team. And I wouldn't be upset about that. But I, I, I wouldn't do, be either. I, I do want to see, because I don't think this is going to last. I really don't. I don't think it's a sustainable method as these risky throws and subpar performances in the first half that don't really translate to points. Um, I don't think it's going to win them too many games, especially their schedule. I don't think they're going to beat the Bears. They they have to get out to faster starts. They, they do. Really do. But I, I think it'll probably wind up kind of crumbling down around week five. And then I think I really hope, I'm not wishing anything bad on any player about Baker Mayfield, but I just would rather see the upside or the potential in Kyle Trask because I feel like there's a chance that he would be even better and make smarter, more efficient throws. I, I don't know. I'm trusting the guy that's been behind Brady for two years and like got to touch the the goat. Yeah. You know, got to be around the goat. You know, I'm I'm gonna trust that instinct, and, and hope that Baker could maybe re-sign as a high quality backup. You know, because I don't think he's a starter in this league. At the end of the day, like I don't know what team's gonna go out there and get him he's, other than the Bucks. He's played for four teams in the last two calendar years. Yeah, that's not good. People know what he is. People know who he is. And don't get me wrong, there was a point in time where he actually was. Considered a very broke, good quarterback. Broke the rookie record for passing touchdowns. And, and you got to respect him for that. I'm not shitting on the guy entirely. He had a good game against the Vikings at the end of the day, but I just think that it could have been better. Um, and honestly, you know, when you have the weapons like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, and emerging stars like Trey, Trey Palmer and Kate Otten, who Trey had a Palmer's good game. Trey Palmer's a stud. Caught a touchdown pass in his first regular season game. Caught a touchdown pass in every single preseason game, too, if I'm not mistaken. They, they have some young talent on that offense. It still runs through Chris Godwin, still runs through Mike Evans. One thing that did concern me, though, was just their overall rush attack, or lack thereof. Um, Where was it, bro? 2.2 yards per carry, and they had 33 rushes. It's worse than last year when, when Leonard was only getting like 2.9. Yeah. And I like to see that Sean Tucker, the undrafted free agent out of Syracuse, got five touches. Only three yards per carry. I'd like to see him do more with it, but it's just that's a story. Seeing him make the team was going to be probably top five, top ten running back. Not on the board, but just like as far as that position taken in this year's draft. But he had a heart condition, and that just sort of turned every team away from him. But it's, I kind of like, if I feel like if I'm going to be drafted in like the sixth, seventh round, I'd rather just be undrafted. Because that way I can just pick where I want to go based off what I feel like I might have the best place to succeed or best plan, best place to flourish. And that's what Sean Tucker did, I feel like. He was able to actually sort of get all his ducks in a row, 
look at every team that is offering him, see like, all right, what situation can I step into and have the best chance to actually start, get some playing time, make a name for, him, for himself. And I think that was with Tampa, and you can see it now. I mean, already getting five touches in his first game. I think it's just something that's only going to grow. He also had two catches out of the backfield. Um, but, yeah, the, the, that rush offense – the slow start for the first half, definitely big, big concerns for the Bucks. But overall, they came in there to a hostile environment on the road as underdogs and knocked off a team that was 13-4 last year, was 10-1 and in the same exact one-win game. So overall, it's just a sex for Bucks fans. It, I agree. It really is. I think it's a massive W. It's kind of like the Lions win, in my opinion. Mm. Like The Bucks should feel very proud about this. And if you're a Bucks fan, die hard. Definitely feel proud about this win because honestly, it was our defense holding them to minimal points. Mm. Like when a kind, I shot on our past defense and they were getting yards everywhere. Justin Jefferson had nine catches, 150 yards. Yeah, but like they didn't let them score. No. So like when it mattered most, they bend but don't break. Yeah. So I mean, you know what? Give Justin Jefferson godlike stats, but don't give him six. There you go. You know what I'm saying? And and that seemed to work. And Todd Bowles, honestly, wasn't bad. You know, I sh- we all shit on Todd Bowles and have a good laugh every now and then on mm-hmm. the guy, but it wasn't a bad game, bro. He called a really nice game. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I can't lie. I-, I thought the offense was, you know, above I mean, average. He-, he should be doing that week in and week out. He's on the hot seat this year. He, he really he is. is. And if he if it doesn't, if he finishes like a third or a fourth in this division, he's I think he's, he's fine. Gone. Yeah. And so he, you, you would hope to see that week in and week out from Todd Bowles. Maybe not next week while I'm at Raymond James rooting for my Bears, but... Every week after that, feel free to do that, Todd Bowles, because you need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the next game we could talk about here? So moving on, we got the San Francisco 49ers just absolutely bludgeoning the Pittsburgh Steelers 30-7. to mm. I'll tell you what, out of all the games that did catch my eye, the Cowboys-Giants game, the Bengals-Browns game, this is another one that really, really caught me off guard. I did not, I expected the Niners to win this. I really did, and comfortably, but not to this extent, to where that Pittsburgh offense was just an absolute shell of itself. A complete night and day difference of what it was in the preseason. Preseason, that was probably the best offense in all of NFL, but there you go, it just goes to show that it was fucking preseason, none of that shit matters, and the Niners, another top five, top three defense, just came in and just shut them down. Najee Harris did nothing. George Pickett, or George Pickett, George Pickens did nothing. Kenny Pickett did nothing. It was just hard to get anything going on that offensive side of the ball for Pittsburgh. Um, one person I do want to shout out, two people actually, Brandon Ayuk and TJ Watt, both absolutely balled out for their respective teams. Brandon Ayuk, eight catches, 129 yards, and two touchdowns. TJ Watt was just an absolute menace. Five tackles, three sacks, five QB hits, one tackle for a loss, and one pass deflection. He literally filled up the entire... He didn't have a touchdown. That was the only stat on the defensive score sheet that he did not have a fucking tally in. was a yeah, touchdown. he's a menace. And I will say this. I got to eat my words because I was talking about receipts. I hyped up Kenny Pickett so fucking much, bro. And he was fucking terrible. <laughs> and he, he was... He was like... Five bro, yards of completion. Bro, he... Like a Best Buy employee could have done better. Like, bro, he was horrid, bro. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch. I mean, another thing, though, I, I just keep going back to it, it's consistent, 46 pass attempts. I know a lot of his game script, they're coming from behind, but another young quarterback that we're just seeing just get some reps. Like, every time I look at these stat sheets, I just get more pissed and pissed about seeing what Justin Fields was doing and what Luke Getze was doing. But that's a story for another day. But 
just overall, a lot of this game did catch my eye, though. Not even just from the scoreline, but just digging into the stat sheet. Fred Warner had a great game. Fred Warner had a great game. Brock Purdy, shout out to him, man. Coming off the injury, just came out and balled. And he kept his receipts, too, against Patrick Peterson. I don't know if you saw any of that, but Patrick Peterson was on a podcast saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to get an interception on Brock Purdy. We see things in tape. We see things in tape. I'll talk more about it after the game, after I get my interception. Ends up throwing a touchdown over his head to Brandon Ayuk and just exposes that entire defense all game. 19 for 29, 220 yards. Measly 7.5 yards per attempt, uh, but two touchdowns as well. Played a clean game. 91 QBR rating. and That's all you really want from him because he's a guy that's going to play in the system. I'm not asking him to stretch the ball down the field. Exactly. Because he doesn't really have the arm for it, but he's a very accurate, efficient thrower, and you saw it. I'm telling you, man, there's... You know, I always hate throwing this out there as loosely as I'm about to, but there's a lot of Tom Brady-esque traits and things about Brock Purdy that if you're a Niners fan, you can't help but just be salivating at the mouth, Which, especially with this week one performance. Overreaction is real, especially after week one, but he, he knows what his role is, which is, especially at his age too, is so fucking rare to have the humility to have the wherewithal, to have the awareness of what his role is and what he needs to do, and to do it the right way. And to just get the ball to his weapons and not make mistakes. Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayu, George Kittle, the list goes on and on and on on this offense. And all of them were involved. Elijah Mitchell had a, had a very under-the-radar game. He's coming back from an injury. They're working him in back to it slowly, and you still have CMC as your RB1. So C- CMC had that 65-yard touchdown. Seven yards per carry, 152 yards, had another three catches. Already touched on Ayuk's game. Um, Fred Warner had a huge game as well. One TFL, one pass deflection, eight tackles total. It was just an overall fucking ass whooping from San Shout out to Frank Genda. He retweeted one of Fred Warner's plays, and he's like, that's the best linebacker in the league right there, no doubt. Just just paying respects and paying his dues, because that's probably a guy he looks up to. But I just wanted to say that. But, yeah, no, this was definitely a shocking game because Mike Tomlin normally doesn't get humiliated like that, but it, it definitely happened. And T.J. Watt, he got his, he got his, you know, he got his punches in, but he can't win the game on his own. The, the offense was fucking horrid, and I, I don't know what's going to happen going into week two, but they're definitely, uh, they're in a good spot because oh, they yeah. can outshoot still if they progress and develop their offense a little more and get it to where it should be. They can still beat. Just because of T.J. Watt on the defense side of the ball alone, they can still beat the Bengals. They can still beat the the, the Ravens based on what we've seen yeah. out of Week One. And it's it's a Mike Tomlin coach team. It is. It, He's it, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Never had a losing season in his career, and he won't. It's it's I, still just, it still just blows my mind every time I look at it. But even just diving into the Steelers side of things, not really much positive. But what really stood out to me, Allen Robinson was their leading receiver, five catches, sixty four yards. That makes me really happy. I've always been a fan of Allen Robinson, dating back to his days with Blake Bortles and Jacksonville, and even when he was with the Bears. Just so underrated, and going to the Bears definitely didn't fucking help his cause because he had no one to throw him the fucking ball. But just being a Bears fan that watched every game, he's someone that just came in there. He's not your stereotypical prima donna receiver. He's going to come in there, put his head down, fucking work, do the right thing, then he's going to make the most of the moments that he does get and the opportunities that he does get. And we saw that in Chicago. But just never really panned out. Had some more injury issues. And like I said, you know the quarterback situation. Oh, yeah. But I, I was very happy to see that from him. Calvin Austin, the third, had six catches, 37 yards. Um, caught all six of his targets. Um, so they have the weapons on the receiving side of things. It's just they got to get something going with that run game. Their O-line is just so fucking atrocious. And 
I'm, I'd be worried if I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I mean, they were, they're yeah. picking right up where they left off last year. I mean, nothing really changed. We know what the defense is. We know what we're going to get out of them week in, week out. But if something like last year happens again where T.J. Watt gets a freak injury and he's out for an extended period of time, knock on wood, I don't even want to go into it. It's just yeah. it's going to be ugly. It will be another weird year for the Pittsburgh Steelers if it continues like this. But I, I do have hope in Tomlin. I don't think I think this is one occurrence this week, maybe maybe one of two, that we're going to see this team that got humiliated actually get better. Mm. And they so, play the Browns next week on Monday Night Football. I think that they can confidently win that game with and the defense. I want to say it's at Heinz Field. Or it's not Heinz Field anymore, I'm sorry. It's Akershire Stadium? What the fuck? What I don't even know hell? what that is, but no, it's in Pittsburgh. Don't even say it, bro. Don't even say the name. Um, say Pittsburgh Steelers yeah, Stadium. <laughs> but the last thing that did catch my eye from this game is, are we going to see a different start from the Niners this year? If you look back at the last few years, They've had some really slow starts, getting out to like two and three starts, two and four starts, one and three, and a lot of them they did lose that first game, even last year in that fucking almost hurricane at Soldier Field when that was Justin Fields coming out party, or you thought it was at least, but they lost that game. They had Trey Lance at the helm, obviously that's a game where he did get hurt, but that's what they've sort of been known for the last couple of years is these slow starts, and this is just a complete 180, and it's. There's another added layer to it when Brock Purdy's a starting quarterback, and you're doing that with him in the game that he had as well. I agree. Um, but moving on to the next game, Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers. Bryce Young's NFL debut, Bijan Robinson's NFL debut, the vision matchup. Atlanta really just came out and set the tone of this game, and I think they solidified themselves as the most dangerous team in this division right now. I agree and with that. the most complete they have the most weapons on offense. Their defense is the one question mark. It's been terrible since the Super Bowl loss. Yep. Um, but now it looks like they actually... Arthur Smith, I haven't been too high on the guy, but I think that he's it's actually gotten some that, pieces. Because I'm, I'm the opposite. I've been high on Arthur Smith ever since he got hired at Atlanta. I just think he's been, uh, like at least in his tenure so far, it's been a little lackluster. I, don't, I didn't really appreciate the Marcus Mariota signing. Mm. He obviously quit on his team, but... I like the fact that he did put in Desmond Ritter last year, was able to utilize that kind of end portion of the season to kind of get his young quarterback ready. I think he could be a franchise guy for them um, in all respects. I've been high on him, Kenny Pickett, and Sam Howell. I don't, I don't know who I'm not high on, honestly. Uh, but I, I just want all these guys <laughs> to succeed. Um, but just genuinely, I think Desmond Ritter has all the weapons around him to succeed. They just need to shore up that O-line. Make sure that the running backs are properly utilized so they can sa- save energy, save their bodies, so that they don't, you know, obviously run them into the fucking ground. But I, I do like what I saw out of week one. Both running backs were used. Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson both had really good games. Bijan's first touchdown was really awesome. Uh, I think he's going to be a menace uh, in this league because both, he's... Both over five yards per carry, too. Which is very nice, bro. Your quarterback doesn't have to do much. You can play within the system. Doesn't have to really stretch the ball downfield when they're just, eating the clock. Just to add to that, Ritter's stat line was 15 for 18, 115 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Okay, I, I six and a half yards. It's per not carry. okay. That's not going to jump off the page to a lot of people, but, but if it, that's a win. That's a win. And it, like, it just goes win. hand in hand with what we're talking about with the running backs and the job that they're doing. They just make it so easily, so easy for the quarterback to just play within the system and make the right decisions. And he was sacked four times. So, like you said, the O-line is something that they need to address. But just the passing attack in general. I mean, the leading receiver was Kyle Pitts for 44 yards. 
But I mean, I will say this: he was good on completion percentage, yes. and that shows his accuracy is there. They were not giving him a lot of opportunity to throw the ball, but they're not trying to. Exactly. Uh, they drafted in the portion of going. Okay, we're going to go this way. We're rushing the ball, but they really need to sure up that pass blocking ability. And I think honestly, as soon as Bajan Robinson gets in the groove, we'll see more passing, like pass blocking ability out of their backs, so that maybe they can right. set up some play action for Desmond, open up the playbook for him. But if this is the recipe for them to win games. I, I firmly believe they should stick to it. Especially in this division. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I just don't want people to undermine Desmond Ritter's performance because of his yards. I know yeah. that's not good, but a lot of quarterbacks had really bad yardage this weekend, and we'll get into that you know, it's, soon. It just all goes into how you look at the game and if you know ball. I mean, I see that, and I'm like, look, I'm not really expecting anything more than that. You know, He's 15 he of 18. That was good. Exactly what you're supposed to do. I mean, your quarterback rating was 112. You know, you're playing complimentary football to the – to the game plan, to the scheme, to the system that you're in, and that's exactly what you want, and you won the game. And no turnovers. That's the big thing that I noticed about Desmond Ritter. There was he, a, he did, did he fumble? He fumbled it, but he recovered it himself. Okay. So. so technically a turnover, but a recovered turnover, but yep. he didn't throw a pick, which was nope. kind of the big headline there. And that's not a that's not a shitty secondary. Like, no, it's over not. there in Carolina either. And when they're it. playing with the ball, they're type they're trying to play the possession ball with the run with the rush attack. They need to have a quarterback that's going to be like a Brock Purdy type guy, not turn the ball over, make exactly. smart, short throws that keep the offense moving. Like I feel like this offense, if it's not built for that big you know, blast run play, it's built for just trying to attain that first down. That's what the 49ers offense working is doing because they're trying to complement their defense. If the Falcons can follow that rushing like formula that the 49ers are doing with CMC you know, and a good running back too, yep. I think they're going to be able to do something really solid over here in the you know in the South. I think it could be dangerous, and I, I this agree. is a team that you might want to actually watch out for. I agree. You know, later on in the season because they're going to have the stamina because they have the running backs exactly. and they have a quarterback that they're and, only allowing to throw they, eighteen times. They know who they are. They know what they are. They know what their strengths are. They know what the weaknesses are, and that's just a foundation for success. And that's the same exact thing that you see in the Detroit Lions. They know what their strengths are. They know what their weaknesses are. They play to those, and they don't let anyone rattle them off their or knock them off their pivot in that way. You know. I respect that. And before we go over to the Panther side of the ball, I got to touch on Jesse Bates. Probably had the best attention. To the well, Jordan Whitehead with three picks last night up there. Rokon Smith's game is up there, but he had ten tackles, two pass deflections, and two interceptions as well on Bryce Young, and his debut with the Atlanta Falcons after becoming the highest paid safety in NFL history. Worth it. 100% worth it. Showing it. Lived up to the hype. Did you happen to see the video, though, of the Atlanta Falcons mascot diving off the fucking rafters of the stadium on a suspended cord? No. No? No. You gotta watch that, because your anxiety will go to the fucking roof. Is it Mind scary? It. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just... I mean, no, he's fine. Like, he, he fucking killed it. He was having a great time, but, like, me watching that, someone who's scared of heights, I was shitting bricks, because he was literally standing within the rungs of the Raptors in mm. the stadium with no. the fucking harness suspended to his gut and just <laughs> dives off and just swinging through the stadium. Hey, they gave him a beer before that. I, I would have I had to been paid a million dollars to do that, and I still would have contemplated it. But takeaway from the Falcons is that their defense could potentially be legit with that. They have a great secondary. Jesse Bates at the back end, and A.J. Terrell is one of the most underrated corners in all of football, in my opinion. He's a sleeper. And pick, you know. their front seven suspect, but Grady Jarrett's still there. Kind of a shell of himself, but he's someone that you know is going to produce. Still had two quarterback hits and half a sack um, in this game. 
but he's also a veteran presence to have in that locker room. But moving over to the Panthers, I do want to touch on this. They did just sign Tariq Cohen as of like five minutes ago, which I'm very happy to see that because he had a very, very tough injury that just sort of kicked him out of the league when he was with the Bears. And he was the definition of a human joystick when he was with the Bears. I don't know if you remember watching any of number 29, Trust Tariq me, Cohen. Trust me, I, I remember. And his putt returns and his screens out of the backfield. Tariq Cohen was a fucking great time to watch. Very it's talented. Very talented. And it was just such a shame to see him go out the way he did. But he did just get signed by Carolina. I really hope nothing but the best for him. And, I mean, that's a backfield with Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, which, I mean... Miles Sanders is an RB1, but he has injury concerns. He's not the most productive, really, when it comes down to it. And it's you know everyone knows it's a plug-and-play position, so you never know what can happen. And even if it's just for special teams, man, I just, I'm just i happy to see that for Tariq Cohen. But, I mean, as far as the Panthers' side goes, Hayden Hurst caught a touchdown pass. Bryce Young's first-ever touchdown pass. Threw the ball into the stands. Did get it back, though, which was good, but... Once again, Bryce Young, 38 pass attempts in his debut in the NFL. Completed 20 of them, only 3.8 yards for average completion. Yo, what is their offensive play calling? But the fact that he threw it for 38 times, so you got a big sample size, that's great. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, it's like you didn't even throw the ball down the field at all. Like, bro, like, are they just running drag routes they're, right when they they're, snap? Their two highest receivers were tied in and running back. So you know those are check downs and little flat routes and screens. So he probably had no time in the pocket, bro. Um was sacked two times. Had let me let me calculate real quick because I want to see really how many. One, five had seven quarterback hits, sacked twice. So yeah, he was getting pummeled back there. And hey man, that's welcome to the NFL, if you will, you know. That's a good opener game but for him. But that's that was the concern too with his size and not being able to protect him and right away hit seven times, sack. Twenty completions, more. I'll take that. Yeah, but I mean once again, he some of those throws were good. Some of those throws were really good throws. He did fumble but then recovered the fumble as well. But overall just one of those games where is a as a Panthers fan, are you coming out of it? More pessimistic or optimistic? I would say I would lean more optimistic. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't watch the game as well, so I can only speak too much. Based so on what I'm hearing, I'd be more in the middle. I want to see more out of the defense, but we'll see, obviously. But I do have hope in Bryce Young. He did survive. Obviously, he did you know, survive his first game for anyone yeah. who had size concerns about the guy. But I think he will be a legitimate piece for that, for that team for years to come. I hope that they actually... Develop him properly, Frank Reich. I trust yeah. him with quarterbacks. Yeah, he's you know? he's a great coach. They got the right guy in there to make it happen. So, but then I mean, it doesn't always work out, you know. Very true. But I mean, individually though, the Panthers' defense did have some good performers. Derek Brown had eight solo tackles from the nose tackle position, had a sack, two tackles for a loss, and a quarterback hit. Brian Burns, with all his talk right now with his contract and holding out, came out and just balled with seven tackles, a sack and a half, one TFL, one quarterback hit. Then Frankie Luvu. Stood out to me as well. Three quarterback hits, a sack, and seven tackles. Wow. So their front seven showed up and showed out as far as individual performance, but it just didn't really translate to the overall stat line on the on the scoreboard. Um, moving on, though, this is something that we've been waiting to get to. I know you have, but Cleveland Browns at home knock off the Cincinnati Bengals 24-3 to in a game that I don't think anybody saw this coming. Joe Burrow threw 82 yards, I think. Yep, especially coming after. Coming off the extension, like we touched on, the highest paid player in NFL history, 14 for 31, 82 yards. Joe Mixon, only 13 carries, 56 yards. It was just 
It was terrible. Uh, it was a day that you're going to forget if you're a Bengals fan. And, yeah. And after Jamar Chase, Chase came out saying that the Browns are a bunch of elves too, and they just lost to a bunch of fucking elves. And he addressed that. He ate his words in the press conference after, which he did as a grown adult. But this was an ass-whooping from Cleveland and a, a, definitely a humbling eye-opener for Cincinnati Bengals fans and that team. But honestly, I think they'll be just fine. What about you? I think so. I, I think they're going to be okay. I'm a little worried about Joe Burrow's health. I don't think he's 100%. I'm worried about, we didn't touch up on the T. Higgins chemistry there, about there's not really contract yeah, extension talks. Yet. I think I said earlier he didn't have any targets. I'm, I was wrong. He didn't have any catches, but he had eight targets. Jeez, they're so off point. Yeah, that's something that's definitely alarming. So that's more, the more we dig here, you know, there might be a problem here with Cincinnati this year. Uh, they may have dished out too much money, and this is the problem with paying the quarterback sometimes. And, you know, I don't want to say the Giants are going to feel this pain, but I think they are. Um, but we'll talk about that when it comes to it. And, Logan, I, you know, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry, man. I know it hurt. Uh, anytime your team loses, it fucking hurts for sure. But this was a loss that... You know, trust me, I felt the same way when the Lions lost 29-0 against the Patriots last year. I I feel that pain, bro. But, um, yeah, no, overall, I'm shocked about this game. Joe Burrow got benched with four minutes left on the clock. Which they should have done. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, damn, bro. Yeah, that just really puts it into perspective how bad this game was. Yeah, and you're you're right. You're going to forget this game with the blink of an eye, but I also got to shout out Nick Chubb. I got to shout out that Cleveland Browns defense. Miles Garrett had a great game. Jim Schwartz, new defensive coordinator, first game with the Browns, came up with one of the most masterful game plans that you'll see, and who knows, maybe, I mean, not maybe, everybody else in the league is going to be taking notes from this performance from that Browns defense, and who knows what might translate from it. And I think that we do have to talk about, obviously, Cincinnati's defense looks like they do not have what they used to. Yeah. And they didn't have, you know, they, they had the pieces. They didn't have a full sound defense. It was a bend, don't break. But, you know, losing Jesse Bates, even Eli Apple, yeah, losing some of those chemistry pieces, there's, it really did hurt. There's just no, there's no superstar individual on that defense there's anymore. There's no continuity. And if you don't have that, you got to have something like Detroit. Well, I mean, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson is an emergent superstar, but there's really nobody that's going out there and making differences on a play-to-play basis, like a Chris Jones or Aaron Donald or a TJ Watt, Miles Garrett. They don't have that main superstar piece on that defense mm. to where you can rely on them to make plays when you need them the most. You know, there's like you said, there's no continuity or continuity between them, and if you don't have the perfect team with everybody bought in, doing the right thing, it's going to be hard to see a lot of success and see a lot of progress out of that defense and that is something that like you said the more we dig deeper into it the more we sort of have some concerns for this team but until it happens I, I am still going to stick by that they're going to be just fine as it's, long as Joe Burrow is at yeah. quarterback and as long as he's healthy you still have Joe Mixon you still have Jamar Chase uh, they're going to be fine it's just they got to figure out the defensive side of things will they be able to win that division though do you think they're do you think that's a Question mark? Do you think that's a thing? Do you th- I mean, what are your thoughts on that? The more I look into it, the more I start to feel pessimistic about it, and the more I feel like it's honestly all on Deshaun Watson. I think the mm. Browns' success this season is all on Deshaun Watson. I think the AFC North division is all on Deshaun Watson this year. He had a terrible pick. I don't know he if you did. saw that. He had a very, very bad pick in a very pedestrian game. He was the worst part of the Browns team, and he still didn't even have that terrible of a game. And... All you got to do is just 
think about what he was with the Texans and think if there's any way, shape, or form that he can get back to that. Even a, even like a small, even like 10%. Look out. Yeah. Because they have a good team. I'm they talking about the same Deshaun Watson that was going toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in New England before they fell off his rookie in his second year. Does Cleveland have a top five defense? I think I can safely say I would say I think I could you say know, yes. I, on paper, I've been saying they have for years. It just hasn't been painted out. Yeah. But with Jim Schwartz and the the way they're solidifying that secondary with Grant Delpit, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsome. I love Denzel Ward, by the way. Denzel I just want to say that he's a, he's a fucking dog, bro. Then Jeremiah Owusu Karamora, they're one of their their right linebacker came from Notre Dame. He's a fucking stud, second year man. Had three tackles yesterday. Miles Garrett speaks for itself. It's it's a scary defense. You don't even need to see. You don't even need to say Miles Garrett's stat line. You just you know what you just went on. You don't. You just, and <laughs> they're they're stacked at every single level. Defensive line, linebacker, secondary. They have it all. It's just been schematically getting them to execute, and they haven't had that the last few years, and they have that now. So the Browns are they're a team I've been saying to look out for for a couple years now. Even last year, once they got Deshaun Watson, but this year especially, I really do feel like it's all on Deshaun Watson. And if he, like you said, if he's just a sliver of what he was, you got to look out for this team. I mean, I'm not, by any means, am I sold on Pittsburgh to win this division. By any means, am I sold on Baltimore to win this division. I think it's a toss-up right now. It's still Cincy's division to lose at this point. I even, agree. Even with this week one result, I'm not going to overreact that much and say it's not their division. But until someone beats them, it's their division. It's the reality of it. Maybe mid-season, we're going to be feeling a little bit different about it, but... They definitely did open some eyes with this Browns performance this week. It, it really did, and it really does put in perspective that division as a whole and just sort of puts a huge wrench into what everyone thought was going to happen this year. 100%, and I, I think that kind of sums it up perfectly, and I hope everyone out there, if you're a Cleveland fan, you, you should be happy. If you're a Cincy fan, be a little worried, but don't be too worried right now. It's still week one. Again, we're not overreact. We're trying not to overreact. We're just trying to give you guys a detailed, in-depth review of these games, these stat lines, and some of the player performances that we saw, and we're trying to just kind of tie it together in a way we can all kind of enjoy and comprehend as fans of, of this great game. But what's this next game we got to talk about here? We got the Los Angeles Rams absolute thrashing of the Seattle Seahawks, 30-13. to What are your thoughts on this, Trevor, initial thoughts? I, I know it was close in the first half, um, but Geno Smith really looked terrible. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, 112 passing yards when he has so many weapons. Jackson Smith and Jigba was pretty much nowhere. Uh, DK Metcalf was their leading receiver. Then their next leading receiver was Will Disley. Yep. Uh, so just not a good game by any means on offense. And I wonder if it's the loss of offensive coordinator Dave Canales to the Bucks. Uh, I, it's definitely Gino, something you have to look at. Is Geno going to fall back down to earth? I think so, and I think we might see something we don't want to see, and we see Drew Locke out there probably mm. sometime this year, and he's going to be you know throwing up those flag signs, but in the game, you know what I'm saying? Only real football fans know what I'm talking about. Um, but no, the, the Seattle Seahawks also going into week two. Both their starting tackles are out, yep. so that's another discussion. Um, I, I think overall... I. The defense terrifies me because of the weapons they have. Tariq Wollin, Kobe Bryant, Devin Witherspoon. The front seven is nasty. Did they have Frank Clark still, don't they? I believe Bobby Wagner's they have back. Bobby Wagner. He got 19 tackles. In one game. Jordan Brooks is a great linebacker. Julian Love coming over from the Giants as well. Notre Dame boy. Very solid starting defensive back. No one that's going to... I mean, even Quandre Diggs. 
Oh house, yeah, it's a good starting name. I mean, these aren't household names that are going to move you, but these are solid starting players in the NFL. And I think that their defense is miles better than their offense. But I, I think that any team can go to Seattle or have them or host them and just win the turnover battle against that offense because mm. it's just really all going to ride on the quarterback position. They have a good rush attack. They have perfect weapons. It's just Geno is, I think, going to be back to Geno Smith. Mm. You know. But the, the Rams look good. Stafford looked good. Threw for over 300 yards. Um, their rush attack looked semi-decent. They had an okay overall performance, but I really do believe that it was just their defense holding the Seattle Seahawks at bay while the while the Rams could just you know chip away in the second half. But yeah, it's one of those things, in my opinion, that I'm not convinced by either of their performances. In my opinion, I think that Seattle may just be that bad, or the Rams may be just that good. If that's mm. the case, then the Rams might be someone to look out for again because it's a Sean McVay coach team, very professional and full-sound organization. Uh, they obviously don't give a fuck about picks. Um, and obviously, if Matthew Stafford's going to play at this level, they can win games. They can win games. And, so. I mean, you know this better than anybody. Matthew Stafford's an elite pass for the football, no matter he where he goes. And I used to dread playing him when I was a Bears fan. And seeing the hate that he would get once this move happens was just it was mind blowing to me why people just didn't believe in Matt Stafford say what you want about him being a winning quarterback this and that he is an elite passer of the football I've I mean honestly just in my life what I've seen he's the top five throw of the football I've ever seen I agree with that just as far as just pure talent like Jay Cutler's up there Aaron Rodgers obviously up there Matthew Stafford is up there with me just as far as just pure arm talent throwing a football and as long as they have him and he's healthy it doesn't really matter what weapons they have, but obviously losing someone like Cooper Cup is huge. But we say that, and we're talking about this awesome secondary and this awesome Seattle defense, but Tutu Atwell, six catches, 119 yards. Puta Nakua, ever heard of him? No. Ten catches, 119 yards. Rookie. <laughs> Had 15 targets. Wow. They just diced them up. Absolutely diced them up, man. That was the story of this game for me, along with Tyron Williams, Forder Notre Dame, running back. Had a great career with the Fighting Irish. Out, outplayed Cam Akers. Cam Akers had 22 carries, 29 yards. That's terrible. Had one touchdown on a goal line touchdown. But Kyron Williams, 15 carries, 52 yards. Still nothing crazy. Three and a half yards per carry, but made the most out of his chances. Had two touchdowns as well. And I love seeing that. Notre Dame boy. I really thought he was going to be involved with this Rams offense a few years ago. Then he got hurt. But ever since Todd Gurley, the rushing attack for the Rams has always been suspect. And you never really know what's going to happen on any given day as far as production or who's even going to get the ball. And this day just happened to be Tyron Williams. But hopefully it's something that he can build off of. But if I'm going to overreact about anything on this game, it's going to be with the Rams and the performance that they did have, and they are just going to be that good, in my opinion. Not saying they're going to win the division or even compete with the Niners, but any Sean McVay coach team that also still has Aaron Donald, also still has Matthew Stafford, and will have Cooper Cup when he's healthy, is a team that's not just going to roll over and let you spank them in the ass, you know? I agree. And a lot of people, for whatever reason, was just under under this connotation that the Rams are going to come out and just suck. throw the bag this year yeah. and suck and this and that and not be competitive. And Al Michaels, even today on the Dan Patrick Show, touched on how he ran into Sean McVay in the offseason and probably like three to four weeks leading up to the game against Seattle. And Sean McVay told Al Michaels straight up, I think we're going to win this game against Seattle. And that's just how confident he was and how confident his team was from that far ago 
leading up into this game, and it translated the exact same way, and you can see that. Um, close in the first half, but you'd expect that in a week one divisional matchup game, but you can just see where the coaching just sort of made the difference in the second half, and the Rams just came out and just fucking spanked the Seattle Seahawks at CenturyLink Field. Actually, I think it's Lumen Field, I'm sorry. Lumen Field, yeah. Like these stupid fucking names. 30 to 13, which was a big difference. And the over-under was 44, and it finished at 43, man. Damn. I wonder what what a lot of the bets on that one were. I think a lot of people probably would have hit that over with this Seattle. I mean, I don't think anyone would have expected Seattle to score 13 if LA was not 30. I was shocked at that scoreline. Another thing that did catch my eye, though, was that um, JSN, Jackson Smith, and Jigba was tied with DK Metcalf for the most targets on that team. So I do like to see that, and it does show the role that he will have in that offense. But I think Seattle will be fine. I think Geno Smith is still someone that's going to play the rest of the season. I'm not so far on board with you that he's just going to fall off and get benched. Um, a lot of that's just because I really don't want to see Drew Locke, but a lot of that is because I do believe in Geno Smith. He paid his dues. He's been through it all like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type career. And I think he's going to sort of have the same type of career. And he's going to have his moments with his teams, you know. But I, I think that this is still a prolific offense on the Seattle side. They got weapons all over the place. Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith, Jigba, Tyler Walk. It's getting up there in age, but he's still a very good receiver, especially someone that you want to have at number two. If Geno Smith throws <clears> for less than 150 yards again next week, will you say that again? No. Because he's not he's absent both his starting tackles, going against a prolifically well, young defensive line. This is the worst possible game he could be walking into at fourth field. We'll see. I I a know lot he of has it great depends, receivers. A lot so. of it depends on this game strip. Like if it's something where like a Pat Mahomes type game where receivers are just dropping passes and he's getting sacked, not having time, that's not all attributed to him to himself. So uh, the game strip will matter, but if it's something where it's like uh it's really obvious to tell that he passed around 150 yards, and it was, and that O line was holding up, and his receivers were making plays. Then that's okay, definitely so something you, I'll readdress. For I, sure. I I agree with that statement. Actually, <clears throat> I'm not going to blame the O line's performance on him if he's going to get destroyed and not be able to have the chance to pass for that much. But it like I, like you said, if he actually just blatantly can't do it, then yeah, I understand. But I agree. I might be too harsh on him, but maybe it's a little bit of bias. Yeah. No. We come week three and they play the Panthers at home, and if it's the same result after we just see, saw what Desmond Ritter did, obviously we touch on the yards, but I mean, 15 for 18. If Geno Smith can't do better than that with better yards, then that's something that I'll really, really have to be concerned We'll have to break that down. Yes, 100%. Um, moving on to the next one Las Vegas Raiders and the Denver Broncos. Raiders pulling away with a 17 to 16 victory. I know you said this is something that we wanted to touch on officiating wise, but also. Will Lutz did miss an extra point that would have had this game tied at 17. So the Broncos do have that to fall on as to why they lost that game. They can make as many excuses as they want, but Will Lutz has got to make that extra point, man. I'm going to say this. Russell Wilson looked really solid. He had a really nice like mobility in the pocket. Um, he had solid you know, throws on the run. I think the offense overall looked better than it did last year. They just obviously couldn't win the close game. Um, the Raiders, Jimmy G looked really solid. I saw him run too many times. Um, but Jacoby Myers had a good game. Jacoby Myers balled out, man. Um, another guy that I saw that actually did pretty well was, uh, gosh, what was his name? For, um, number 17 for Denver. He got a touchdown. I, I, Talking about Cortland Sutton? 
Not, uh, uh, the Jordan Humphrey. Yeah, Humphrey. Jordan he Humphrey. had a nice touchdown. Yeah, he's the he's a receiver from Texas. Yeah, he I, I like him. You know, I don't know too much about him, but uh, he popped off the screen for me. Really, really big and physical receiver. Yeah, no, six four, two twenty five. I think that, that maybe that's what Russell needed. And apparently, he lost twenty five pounds this off season, and he, he looked a little faster, but he just doesn't have that same speed. Yeah. Trying, I saw him try and escape the pocket, but the Raiders did a good job containing that offense. Yes, and I agree. Sean Payton's decision to go for the onside kick with the first play. I saw that. This interesting. It almost worked, but it didn't. So that's not good. You know, if it works, then fuck yeah. But it. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It, sadly, <clears throat> um, but just overall, I just hope that the Denver Broncos don't fall into the same kind of fucking rut as they did last year. I do as well, because the Broncos are another one of those teams when they're good and they're competing. It's just better for football all around, especially when Sean Payton and Russell Wilson are the at the helm as far as quarterback, head coach. Um, no Jerry Judy this game for the Broncos, which obviously is always going to make a difference. But, I mean, Samaj P. Ryan out of the backfield, their RB2 was their leading receiver. That's never going to be your recipe for success. Portland Sutton did have a good game back from injury. Four catches, 32 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I've always been a fan of Portland Sutton. Just a great route runner, great short-handed receiver. And he's just sort of had his injury hindered by – or his career hindered by injuries. Um, but just both sides of the ball, something that really held both these teams back was just their running attack. Um, Javante Williams had four yards per carry, but didn't really get anything going on the ground. Coming off an of ACL tear, obviously got to shake off some rust. But even Josh Jacobs, 19 carries, 48 yards, two and a half yards per carry. Yeah. But yeah, I see that right here. Jimmy Droppolo with nine carries. What the fuck? That's too much. He had a long of eight, so that yeah. means his other seven or his other eight carries he got three yards from. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, there you go, Jimmy. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overall, Jacoby Myers is what stood out the most for me this game. Fucking balled out. Had like 30-plus fucking fantasy points. And it's good for him because this is his first game in a new team. He was, I mean, borderline wide receiver one for the Patriots just because of lack of better talent around him. But he was very solid and very good for them and consistent. I agree. Them. And what we know has been just an up-and-down quarterback play ever since Brady left, which has been suspected. Who knows? We're getting into that Patriots game shortly. Matt Jones actually looked really good against that Philly defense. Just had a really slow start. Um, but Jacoby Myers came in here playing that wide receiver too, to a Devontae Adams. He's going to be a lot open. He's going to be open a lot more of the time. He's going to have a lot more space. Devontae Adams is obviously going to be drawing all that extra attention. I agree. And this was our first time seeing Jacoby Myers in that role, and we were not disappointed at all. No. At least the Raiders fans especially were not disappointed. And I think he's going to have a sneaky 1,000-yard season. He might. I mean, with Jimmy G, he's with a winner. Ju- with Jimmy G, you never know. He's not anyone that's always going to throw for 45, 4,600 yards. But if for whatever reason he does surpass 4,000, which I still think he will, I mean, with Devontae Adams, Austin Hooper, even fucking Hunter Renfro, Jacoby Myers, it's going to be hard not to – Pass the ball to. around and get money or money, get yards. Yeah, we'll from that. get money too. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, but um, I mean, other than that, nothing really caught my eye much from this game. What was that? Uh, that officiating that you were talking about? That well, just towards really... the end of the game, like pretty much, which like the drive that led to the go-ahead touchdown. There was like fucking six penalties on that, like inside the five for the Raiders Jesus. against the Denver Broncos, and it just kind of saved the game for them. It was a rough officiating game. If you watch the highlights, 90% of it, I feel like there's a flag thrown. So, one of those fucking games. But we can go ahead and move on to this next game if you want there. Yeah, so the next one, unfortunately, it's going to be the Green Bay Packers coming in the Soldier Field. 
and beating my Bears, beating the shit out of my Bears, 38 to 20. Um, I know you have a lot to sign off on this, Trevor. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet for myself. I know you'll be it, doing a podcast just episode to save on it. it for the Windy City Reports episode. And I'll oh, trust me, I have a lot for that. I will be sounding off in that in that episode. <laughs> but just to keep it short and sweet, now that I've been able to actually just dial back from the depression and the, um, the sadness and the anger <laughs> and anything else that you can think of that goes in line with depression that I felt that day. Um, now that I've been able to digest it and really come back from it, nothing's really changed, it seems. And there's the only two bright spots was our rookie running back and Yannick Ngakwe. That's it. I'll keep it at that, and I'll, I'll hand it off to you, Trevor. Uh, I know you'll definitely have a more in-depth review and discussion on that in, in your solo series, Windy City Reports, but I, I really do believe that uh, there is upside still. I do. I, yeah. I do as well. I, I do. As, I as negative as I am. I wouldn't lose faith yet because you also have to give props to Matt LaFleur. He's a very good coach. The Packers have a very full sound defense with a very good arsenal of running backs. So that's always a problem. It always will be a problem as it long was, as the Packers It exist. was one of those games where our weaknesses are the Packers' strengths. And that's pretty much it. We don't even have any strengths right now that really combat against the Packers' weaknesses. But... The Packers' front seven is their strength. Our offensive line is our weakness. Our front seven is our weakness. The Packers' front or the Packers' old line is their strength, and it sort of just it literally panned out just like that. And I don't want to overinflate Jordan Love. He had a decent game, but a lot of it was heavily, you know, kind of relied on Aaron Jones' performance. He was bailed out of a couple situations. I saw some flags I didn't really like, but. At the end of the day, what I was incredibly concerned about more than anything was the offensive play calling from the Chicago Bears. It looked so fucking one-dimensional and just out of whack. Like, it, I'm surprised they got 20 points. This is what I've dealt with the last like, five years. This was this had Matt Nagy written all over it. And any Bears fan that it still has a memory if they haven't erased it from their memory already which I'm still struggling to do has, <laughs> still has PTSD from the Matt Nagy tenure and it just looked like you said the rush attack was there it, it, like if they relied on it more it could have actually been useful in the first half like if they actually got in a rhythm quicker but instead they made Justin Fields step back and drop back and get pressured and force Aaron throws I'll, there was I'll one just, pick that was just fucking terrible by him and that was just him trying to force it I really do believe that, and I'm not saying he should be forgiven for it or like it was a right decision. But it was terrible, all around. It was a terrible decision. Shouldn't have made that throw, but that's just him letting the pressure get to him. I feel like and just trying to make something out of nothing when he really I, shouldn't have. But I'm not gonna blame it all. On I'm not him. gonna blame him too much. It, it the pocket was collapsing. It was it was like the, those the, those defensive backs really did kind of hock in on the ball, but he tried to zip it in there, and you know I I prompt him for trying to make something happen at least he's going to take that shot yeah you know at least he thinks he has the ability to and i think he does i really do he oh, has I, the do. Zip. I do too but it's just he needs to like bro they need to like come up with a better short pass attack so that he can actually get some completions rely on yak stop trying to force the ball downfield when he's really not been able to prove that he's even a stable well, short there, passer we didn't even force it downfield that's the thing we didn't we didn't call more than two plays that were vertical passes down the field. Wow. The only wow. the only one that was more than fifteen yards through the air was a 
was a bootleg rollout to the right where it was actually his best play of the game, Justin Fields, and it was so right to DJ. To start it was right that. to DJ Moore for like a twenty yard gain. And that was all that we really saw. Other than that, it was just check downs and screens and short passes that and Justin Fields' strength as a passer is his vertical game. It is. It's his arm and his arm strength and his arm talent and his ability to throw the ball down the field to his receivers. It's not making reads and making intermediate and short throws. It really isn't. Mm. And I say that, but he did have a couple plays, especially early on, where you saw some growth and progression from him because he, he dropped back, he looked to his right, made his first read, wasn't there, looked to his left in the middle field, second read, wasn't there. Then you see him look all the way back to the left and throw it to his check down and his tight end or his running back in the flat. And that's exactly what you wanted to see out of him. And I saw that in the first drive. I'm like, wow, okay, this is this is perfect. Like This is what we wanted. We're not moving it down the field, but now there were some plays where there was receivers down the field that were open, and Fields didn't miss the read, or I don't think he was just confident enough to make the throw. Um, but without being said, he still is making progress, and the things that we wanted him to work on as a quarterback is just trying to read the defense and go through his reads before just tucking the ball and running it, or just throwing it down, you know? So that there was some progress with that, but there was also some moments where like, fuck, is he really making? He took a couple steps forward, and then would take a couple steps back um, to put it shortly. But just to give you an idea of the play calling and how the rest of the game was, the first drive we were moving, positive game after positive game, made it to midfield, a little bit past midfield in the Packers territory. Get a third and short, third and one. We motion Cole Komet over, direct snap to Cole Komet for a little sneak, goes nowhere. The Packers all over it. Then we go for it on fourth and inches, midfield, first drive of the season, first drive, first game against Green Bay, coming into Soldier Field without Aaron Rodgers. All the optimism, all the speculation, everything that went into this game, this moment, was unlike anything we've ever seen before. And this is one of the biggest calls to set the entire tone for this game. And we line up for a QB sneak. Justin Fields is lined up. Obviously, the running back, or traditionally, the running back is supposed to be lined up right behind the quarterback. Khalil Herbert was about three yards shifted to the left. What that does is alert the defense that this is going to be a QB sneak. So we go for a QB sneak. There is absolutely no push from the offensive line whatsoever. And Justin Fields just stood up. And we call a tight end sneak and a quarterback sneak on two one-yard distances and just turn the ball over on downs. And that just sets the whole tone for the rest of the game. And we just never come back from it. Because we would run the ball on first down, probably get one yard, then do a screen on second down, incomplete or a loss of yards. Then Justin Fields just sit back there, or has to just sit back there and get teed off on, like sitting duck from that, from that defensive line. Like, how do they expect to win any games, bro? When Aaron Jones is going off, when when the defense of the Packers is actually showing out, how do they expect to like? They need to get something going. Like, some aspect of their offense has to get in rhythm. That's and just my opinion. The hardest pill to swallow about it is that we couldn't even see what all the changes and what all the pieces that we brought in could do for us. DJ Moore had two targets. Chase Claypool had two targets, no catches. Tremaine Edmonds didn't... He was he was involved. TJ Edwards was involved. They both had some tackles, but we didn't really see anything defensively that like put them in advantageous positions. Yeah. And you just saw all over the place. There's a lack of communication on the defense. There's wide open receiver after wide open receiver. The Packers completed five third and ten or longer completions for 15 or 20 yards or more. Wow. That should not be happening. No. Especially with Jordan Love. And it wasn't even all credit to Jordan Love. He bought out. He outplayed Justin Fields. And I'm going to give him his credit where it's due. He had some bright spots, but he also had some really low spots. But all five of those third and long plays I was telling you about 
those are all the wide open receivers. It's not like Jordan, Jordan Love had to go above and beyond and make a play to get that first down. He just had to stay in the pocket with no pass rush and just make an easy throw to a wide open receiver sitting in an empty spot of his own. Right, and that's all hope, he did. You would hope anyone could do that. Exactly. And just all it was was that the Packers coaching staff just came out there and they were playing chess and the Bears coaching staff was playing checkers and they just got outshined and outperformed and outclassed in every single fucking facet of the mm. game imaginable. It's 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 the worst coaching performance I've ever seen from the Bears, let alone ever seen from a football team coaching staff game in general. That's how bad it was. Wow. Genuinely how fucking bad it was. None of the players were ready. None of them were even hyped up. No one was... Like, it, it was just such a clusterfuck of a job done by the coaching <laughs> staff. It, it's just... It, it blows my mind and it just drives me crazy. And it just comes down to second half adjustments. Aaron Jones was shut down in the first half. Comes right out. In the second half, first two drives, he has 90 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And it just goes to show how far ahead that Matt LaFleur and that Green Bay coaching staff is compared to the Bears coaching staff and Matt Eberflus. And that, that speaks wonders for sure. But I know you want to save a lot of this. You know, you have a big mm-hmm. episode ahead for this week, yeah, especially do. going into week two. You want to get that preview covered. But did you want to get to this next game? Yeah, here? so moving on, we'll start to hammer these out. But uh, Miami and the Chargers, the Dolphins, on the road. Well, is it ever a road game when you're playing the Chargers? At Honestly, no. no it's it just a vacation. Yeah, right? literally. Um, they came in there. They won 36-34. Best game of the weekend. Honestly, it was. Tua balled out. Almost 500 yards from Tua. Tyree Kill with one of the best performances from a receiver position I've ever seen in my life. Over 200 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Herbert looked good. What really stood out to me, though, this game was the run defense from the Dolphins being very, very suspect and the rush attack of the Chargers. And I really don't know which way to read on it. Is that the Chargers' offensive line and running game getting better, or is that the defense front seven from the Dolphins getting worse? I think it's actually a combination of both. Mm. I'm not going to lie to you, because we actually did see, obviously both these teams are very high-powered, superstar, kind of X-factor motivated. Like, they're paying out a lot of these guys. So a lot of these depth positions in the trenches are a little lackluster, but in my opinion, if I was you, if I was a Chargers fan, I'd be more concerned about you know my club. Obviously, they lost, but I, I think the Dolphins are a better team. Oh I, yeah, I really do. I think they're a better coach team. I think Brandon Staley. This will probably be his last year. It should coach. be. It really should be. Yeah. That's. I feel like he's been was holding them back in a way. And Kellen Moore showed what he can do with this team. Like he showed a better offensive. Yep. Or, performance from this team that I saw, I think, any time last year. Yep, 100% agree with you. And they kept pace <clears throat> with Tua. And Tua, let's not, guys, let's actually put some respect on Tua's name. When this guy's healthy, you know, all they really ask him to do is play point guard out there. But, my God, he fucking plays it well. I mean, all he, Tyreek's open. I mean, he has Jalen Waddle. I mean, he has Mike, uh, no, he hasn't, he doesn't have Mike Gusecki anymore, does he? Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they always have something, you know, kind of schemed up. And Mike McDaniel... A guy off that Shanahan tree from San Fran kind of took uh, the notes, the, took the whole fucking playbook. He's a genius. Yeah, he is an offensive guru. The, he is. I'm sure you've seen the videos of it, but he actually straps a GoPro to his helmet during practice, during minicamp, and he actually goes back and watches the footage so he can see exactly what Tua's seen and see through Tua's eyes and break that down for Tua the same way Tua sees it. And that just adds a whole nother element 
to that quarterback and head coach relationship and working with them on that than we've I've, I've ever seen before. But it also shows how offensive minded and how offensive oriented this club is. And how creative they are too. Very true. <clears throat> and you see that with Shanahan in the 49ers, how creative yep. that club is. And I'm so excited to see D'Amico Ryan kind of show that creativity, mm. you know, kind of with that defensive mindset. Right, right. You know, with the Texans, he's going to have to you know, kind of start from scratch, obviously. It's yeah. going to be a while. But I think he has a good cushion and security with that club. But going back to the Dolphins and the Card- uh, the Chargers game, it, very, very high contested game. Like you said, probably game of the weekend. Yeah. I, you know, biased opinion, me is going to say the, the Lions game because Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. Of course. Are, yeah, I think that's a legit rivalry. understandable. Like, not even a rivalry, but Patrick Mahomes has to beat him once, right? Yeah. I mean, one time. Yeah. Um, another guy that's undefeated against Patrick Mahomes is Jacoby Brissett. Oh wow. A little under. You know, that's a nugget I didn't know. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know either until today. <laughs> but um, definitely shout out to Jacoby Brissett out there if you're listening somehow. But you know, definitely shout out to both these teams. Over 30 points. That's an accomplishment. Yep. Um, both quarterbacks balled out. Uh, I know Keenan Allen had a pretty decent game. Yep. Six um, catches, 76 yards. Not not bad. I want to see more out of that. You know, the receiving <clears throat> core in general. But yep. I think. You know, overall, the one thing that you know we saw with the Chargers last year is that they couldn't win the clutch moments. They couldn't win those low, like that one possession game. They would give that up or give up the lead type shit, and that just goes into, I guess, coaching in general. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's not talent in it's my not. opinion. And that's that's the thing. I, there's been many people, year in and year out, over. The, I mean, ever since they got Justin Herbert or after his rookie season, where like, okay, watch out for the Chargers. The Chargers are my dark horse Super Bowl pick this year. The Chargers are my dark horse AFC champion pick. And year in, year out, it just doesn't work for whatever reason. And and I'm not gonna lie, when they drafted Justin Herbert, I'm like, okay, this team is like they're trying to build this team to beat the Chiefs. Like exactly. that's what the whole point of this exactly. team is. They have to at least once to get and to the promised land. Honestly, what I'm taking away from this, I'm. I'm not going to say if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm feeling better than I am a Dolphins fan, but I'm still feeling quite good about this if I'm a Chargers fan because looking at it... Oh, either or, yeah. yeah. Looking at it, dude, you had 234 rushing yards and had six yards per carry and three touchdowns on the ground. And we... Not, I'm saying we as I'm a Chargers fan, but I mean, Justin Herbert only threw for 228 yards and one touchdown. That's not Justin Herbert-like numbers. You're expecting Justin Herbert to have you like 300 plus, maybe two, three touchdowns every week. And now, what I'm doing looking at this is like, okay, we lost by two points to a very high-powered, prolific Dolphins team in offense. And our quarterback and our receivers weren't even on the same page and performing the way that we expect them to and we the way that we're used to them doing. And But what we did see is this fucking resurgence from our rushing attack. So... Going forward, if we can keep this consistency, not saying we're going to get 200-plus rushing yards every week, but if we can keep this consistency where our rushing attack is a threat, then we get Justin Herbert back to where he was, then look out. Yeah. But then I feel like we're still going to run into the same issue with coaching. But an important question to ask is, despite Brandon Staley, you know, we, we all have question marks on him. Week one, if the Chargers met the Chiefs, the Chargers are winning. Mm. So I I think so. I mean, I, honestly, we I, saw it. Thirty-four yeah. points. I mean, yeah. their receiving core is better. Their defense is possibly, and, you know, I mean, not as good, but just almost there. It, it's one of those things where, like, damn, they might have a shot this year. The Chiefs are, you know, might be taking a step back. Yeah. That, that's an overreaction. It, it is, it, but it, hey, it's it's the we, day after overreaction Monday on week one. This is we, we're able to do this. At we, this time. We're, allowed we're allowed to. One hundred percent. The national media is doing this. Why can't we? Exactly. Um, but let's get into this next game. I think overall, if you watch this game, you definitely got a gem. But 
Um, next game, we got the Philadelphia Eagles going into Foxborough mm. for Tom Brady's, I guess, homecoming, or just Tom Brady was there ringing the bell. It was all tailored towards Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, and they beat the, they beat the Patriots twenty five to twenty. But honestly, I'm feeling a lot better as a Patriots fan than I am an Eagles fan coming after this game. The Eagles were up sixteen nothing at first, I believe. The the Patriots had a very very slow start, similar to the way the Bucks did in the Vikings game. Facts. But the defense showed up and they really neutralized and shut down Jalen Hurts. Um, I'm gonna pull it up real quick, but I mean, like I said, they're up sixteen nothing at halftime. I'm sorry, 16 nothing going into the second quarter. Then the Patriots get 14 back in the second quarter, make it 16-14 going into halftime. But Jalen Hurts didn't really do much at all this game. Only 22 for 33, 170 yards and one touchdown. They, Not Jalen Hurts-like. And, I mean, that's what it is, though, is very New England Patriot defense and Bill Belichick-like. Taking your best thing, the thing that you're best at, and just saying, nope, not today. And you're going to have to beat us some other way. Which, shout-out to the Eagles. Very well-coached team, just in the Super Bowl, coming off NFC Championship. Sometimes people expect some woes, maybe a little handover. Yeah. Almost saw it, but we didn't. Okay. Because we have some dollars on that team. We have a coaching staff, and this is what separates the good teams, or the best teams from the good teams, or the better from the good, you know what I'm saying? And shout-out to Mama and Pops. They're massive Eagles fans. They got to see this win. You said it perfectly, though. They were nearly about to give this game away. Um, yep. and, and we did see Jalen Hurts get held, but we also did see that new uh, that New England defense in action. But we also saw not only at first the Eagles defense in action, the Mac Jones kind of start off slow. Yeah. But I really am a little concerned overall with both of these teams passing offense right now, mm. and I think it kind of relates to maybe continuity with the O line on both sides, of both teams, but. I, I don't know what the pressures were like, but I just think this was a kind of a gritty game. Bill Belichick's mm. a defensive genius, and Nick Sirianni's a new young gun, and yep. this was a, a this was a perfect example of it. And I thought this was a good game on paper. Yeah, I I agree with you. Jalen Hurts was sacked three times. Mac Jones was sacked twice. Um, the Patriots defense got five more quarterback hits on Jalen Hurts than the Eagles defense got seven more hits on Mac Jones. But honestly, man, Mac Jones looked better than Jalen Hurts' game. Mm. 316 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Um, but what what stood out to me was just the the fucking lack of rushing attack from both teams. And is that going to be a question mark going forward? Do you think more for so both? for the more so for the Eagles and the Patriots because the opinion. Eagles' expectations are higher. That and because I mean they they don't really have a main guy. DeAndre Swift only had one carry for three yards. What is that? One catch for no yards. What is that? I don't know if there was an injury concern or what, but I mean, Kenneth Gainwell was their leading rusher with 14 carries, 54 yards. So that, if I'm an Eagles fan, like I said, I'm feeling a lot worse about this game than I am a Patriots fan. Because nobody was expecting this from the Patriots. They were just expecting the Patriots to show up, compete, which, I mean, at the end of the day, they did, but they still exceeded some expectations in a way. I agree. Especially Mac Jones. But, I mean, the Patriots rushing attack was even worse than the Eagles was on Sunday. But going forward, I think it's more of a concern from the Eagles, like you said, based off the expectations, based off what everybody's looking for with the Eagles this year. Yeah. And if they're not able to figure that out, when it comes down to it in the playoffs, end of the season, and they're fighting with the Cowboys for that number one spot in that division, they're going to have to get that in line, especially with that Cowboys defense. I agree. And someone like the Patriots, I mean, they got Ramondre Stevenson, they got Ezekiel Elliott, they got some workhorses at that running back position, and... As long as Bill Belichick's at the helm, I'll be fine with anything Whatever they that's going on. Exactly. Yeah. So, 
And I think Bill O'Brien is back as offensive coordinator yeah. for them. And we saw that came out to some positives for them. And Bullet Bill O'Brien. Yes, sir. And I think a lot of this game was just playing from behind with game script. And that's why I sort of took away from the run game. But, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson really couldn't get anything going when he was getting his touches. Um, but that is a good that, Eagles defense, though. A sub, uh, above average. I, I well, say no, it, that's that's the top three front seven. Yeah, that is top three. But Maybe they didn't top. they didn't play like it. Yes, I mean, Jalen Carter balled out. That was the that was probably my biggest takeaway from the from the Eagles set aside from Jalen Hurts. Um, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. I just had it in front of me. But I mean, allowing Mac Jones to have a hat trick of touchdowns—that's saying something. Oh, okay, here it is. Um, Jalen Carter only had one tackle, but he had a sack. That was his only tackle and a tackle for a loss. I'm not really sure how that works out. It said he had one tackle, but so is a sack a tackle for a loss? I think a sack is, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's just I one. I don't on know if it one. still counts, but yeah, he has a sack, tackle for a loss, and another QB hit. I think he had, he had six, it was either six or eight QB pressures as a rookie. I mean, wow. there's a lot of attention to go to on that defensive line with Nicobe Dean, with, um, Derek Barnett with I can't even think Hassan Reddick was his was their by far their best player last year on the defensive side of things. Brandon Graham, Fletcher Clocks. I mean, there's just names all over that front seven that they they got to put attention to. And Jalen Carter's just a fucking athletic specimen, freak of nature type. Next of athlete. to veteran dogs. Exactly. So that's something that did stand out to me. Their secondary looked great. Darius Slay was fucking balling. Had a 70-yard pick six and had a pass breakup, which was one of the craziest plays I've ever seen from a defensive back. <laughs> he got beat on his route, got turned into the, the midfield. The re- receiver was still running a fly outside the numbers. He came all the way back with a curve and was able to deflect it without even really turning his head to the ball. That was something I've, I've never seen anything like that. But overall, yeah, like I said, just Patriots, you got to be looking a little bit better coming out of this game than the Eagles are. I agree. In a sense. I agree with that. And I think this is the more shocking, actually no, not the most shocking game because we haven't talked about the Jets yet, mm. but this is something I think I, I want to take Helm on if you don't mind. Um, the Giants and the Dallas Cowboys played at MetLife on, Mon- on Sunday Night Football, and this was a game, you know, everyone was like, okay, this is going to be a very high, highly mm. contested game, competitive, Dayball is not going to go in there and get shot on at home, no way, no way. And then I get off work, right, I come home, it's like, you know... 10.45, nearly 11. And Logan, he's watching the game in his room, and he's like, you see this, bro? And he shows me his phone, and I see... I think the score was like 33-0 at the time. Mm. And I'm like, what? I was like, I wasn't... Th- th- this was shocking. I did not expect such a... Because me and Logan even talked about this. The USFL Birmingham Stallions would have beat the Giants that game. Like, that with Magua quarterback and Deion Kane just running fucking verts every play... They would have probably beat the like no, 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 not probably they would have yeah they they would bro forty to nothing first of all shout out to Brandon Aubrey and Kevontae Turpin two USFL guys I already Bunch talked Stallings both well actually one of them signed one was a general that's right that's 2022 right twenty twenty two MVP of the league Turpin but yeah Brandon Aubrey I mean we we always talk about him yeah. on the show we're he's actually a fantasy kicker for both of us in some yes, leagues sir. Um, you know Notre Dame guy USL championship league soccer player. Turned USFL Birmingham Stallion, two-time USFL champion, uh, and now starting for the Dallas Cowboys. Missed one, but then redeemed himself, in my opinion. Just the jitters, got it out of his system. He did. And, and then he kind of nailed the rest of the, you know, his opportunities. And Kevontae Turpin with his first career NFL touchdown, fucking awesome. Um, but just overall, 
Dallas's defense looks disgusting. I'm going to say that. Probably the best defense in the league after yeah. week one. Yes, 100%. Um, and their offense didn't have to do anything. Their their defense almost put up as many points in fantasy as they did against the Giants. Their defense put up 37 points in fantasy. So if you have the Dallas Cowboys defense, you probably want some money on fantasy this weekend. And a bad beat for fantasy, though, for me, coming out of this game, was Brandon Cooks. I needed... So, dude, I was playing, and now our league, actually, Colby, had the Giants defense, and they didn't do shit for him. They actually lost him some points, I think, which worked out in my favor, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I needed Brandon Cooks to get five points. Mm. First quarter, he already has four and a half points. Okay. Two catches, 40-some yards. I'm like, great, this is fucking awesome. I'm definitely winning this game. Then everything just goes the way it did. The game script just completely flips. <laughs> Bro, before the, before the Cowboys scored the first offensive touchdown... It was already twenty six nothing. Their 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 first points from the offense was twenty six nothing. So we saw nothing from their offense in essence, bro. Yeah, and Tony by the Ball, time right? that happens, Brandon Cooks is already out of the game strip. They're not passing anymore. They're just running it. So that was my bad beat from this game. But I mean, other than just wow, I really don't really have anything else to describe it. I I don't think we can. I think we'll leave it at that because that's a game that everyone kind of wants to forget, except Cowboys fans. But, yeah, no, it was historically awful. Uh, Daniel Jones looked really rough. But overall, the O-line for the Giants looked terrible. There was no way him or Saquon was going to do anything in this game. And they looked really uncoordinated. Even Logan was saying, I'm going to give some quotes from Logan because he's a diehard Giants fan, uh, that this was probably the worst coached Giants team he's seen in the past seven years. Hey, I'll see you that, and then I'll raise you the Bears coaching staff performance from Sunday, Logan. Oh, and, and I'm sure this will be a discussion we have to have on the pod because, I mean... A battle of whose coaching staff was worse, bro. Like, who, who wants to do that? No one wants to do it, but we might but have we to. We might have to for the content. Yeah, we, we might for the, have for to. For the sake of our souls for the our sake misery. Of, for the sake of the clubs, you know, because there's some bright spots on both teams. It's just they need to come together and actually play as one. I'll and, tell you one thing, bro. John Michael Schmitz Jr., the guard, I think. The center. The center, center. Yeah. Oh, my God. Bad. That that was a performance to forget. I hate shitting on players, but dude, that he was just getting ragdolled by one arm from defenders, just making mistakes and mental. Uh, dude, that it looks like the real line just woke up. That was hard that. to watch. That was so hard to watch, man. Just as an individual performance. I don't know what Logan said. Their right guard had a PFF grade of one. I believe it. No, like dead ass. Like it's I I I don't know what happened there, but. Their O line looked like genuinely they woke up off the bus and like were like, Oh, we're here you know, and that was something to forget and I think we can leave it at that, honestly. <laughs> um, but the final game of week one is probably the most tragic. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers. First start as a jet, four plays in and he pops his Achilles. I mean, what it's else can you say? It's so heartbreaking, man. Regardless of how you feel about Aaron Rodgers as a person. You never want to wish anything like this on anybody. Then just to think about the Jets fan base, the organization, that team might be cursed. They might be. And I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there now. Um, today, as of right now when we're speaking, a day after, not even, I mean, just around 24 hours yeah. since this happened, but a day after, 24 years ago to this day, this is the same as that thing that happened to Vinny Tessa Verde in the mm. in the season opener for the Jets. 
And the punter had to come in and throw some touchdowns. I remember that. It was Almost 99. 24 years to the day. Imagine that if this, if this would have been yesterday. 24 wow. years to the day, same exact situation. Same exact hype build-up. Maybe even more now with Aaron Rodgers and oh, Baltimore Saturdays team, yeah. dude. And you said it at the start, just... I don't know if it was off air or even on air at this point. We're almost two hours in. Yeah, facts. If you're still here, thank God. Much definitely, love. definitely worth the listen. Definitely will yeah. be worth the listen. Great, great episode, bro. Um, but the amount—I mean, I thought the build-up and the optimism and the outlook coming into this bear season was one thing with Justin Fields and Aaron Rodgers is involved in that from leaving the division and getting DJ Moore, and I thought that was one thing. But the build-up for this Jets team fan base. Organization as a whole with Hard Knocks, Aaron Rodgers, the young talent they have on this team on both sides of the ball. Shout out to Brees Hall, man. That was probably in a night full of just absolute misery, misery and depression. I mean, whether it was Brees Hall or just the way that they won the game. What a bright spot, Brees yes. Hall. Brees Hall is going to be a star. And for him to come star. off his ACL tear and to just pick up right where he left off. 26 yards in his first carry, 83 yards in the second carry. You can tell he's a little out of shape and he needs to get back in the game for him, but that's expected. It's week one. He's coming off ACL tear. If he was in shape, he's taking that run to the house for 95, 96 yards. If that's him out of shape, quote-unquote, fuck it. I'll Fuck it, it. man. Brees Hall is going to be a superstar, like you said. I I like his play, bro. But just everything that goes into it, man, they completely changed and shifted everything with this team all around Aaron Rodgers. Brought in his old offensive coordinator. Brought in Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard. Name after name, piece after piece to make this all about Aaron Rodgers. And it was it was a match made in heaven. Whether it was just watching him on Hard Knocks, seeing him and Sauce Gardner's little handshake, smoking a spliff. They even did that when he was running out of the tunnel with the 9-11 flag in the yeah. spotlight. He met up with Sauce at midfield, did that little dap, Damn, took bro. it off the spliff, man. Like we were I talking about, we were talking about the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I've never seen a low, that a low, low that low, but also to stem from a high that was that high in such a short amount of time. Like four plays. You you had goosebumps seeing him run out of the tunnel, the 9-11 anniversary. Um, what the flag? The American flag, spotlight falling, a man. Oh, God then damn it. four plays in, it it's giving me chills. It breaks my heart, and it like, is, I'm, and I'm, even me too, being someone that obviously could never root for him because he was a Packer and just bent my team over year and year and year. <laughs> and this is someone that, and this even adds a whole another layer to it for me because the off season we traded for Khalil Mack. Going into that season, we were at Lambeau. Sunday night game, week one. We were up 17-0 at halftime, just obliterating the Packers. We knocked Aaron Rodgers out of the game. He gets carted off the field in the second quarter. We're, dude, Bears are on cloud nine right now. Bears fans are on cloud nine. Like, we really thought what we thought was going to happen Sunday, we thought was happening this game. We had Khalil Mack traded in. This was the first game of Matt Nagy's career as head coach. We're up 16 or 17-0 on the Packers at Lambeau, Sunday night game. Aaron Rodgers just stretches off. What happens? He comes back in in the second half. We get out to a 20-0 lead early on in the third quarter, kick a field goal. He throws four touchdowns in the second half and ends up winning that game and just crushes the hopes and dreams of every single Bears fan in the entire world. And I was hoping for nothing more than that last night. I really was, but it turns out it wasn't the case. You could tell right away. And the way that he was able to 
just masked his emotions and his pain and everything in that moment. He, you could just tell he knew. He knew, and who knows what type of pain he was going through, but you could see him look over the sideline. He just shook his head, and he just sat down and just... You could just tell by the look on his face and just how disappointed and just heartbroken he was. And yeah. reports are coming out um, at halftime. He was talking with Garrett Wilson, and he just said, sorry, kid. And you can just tell that, like, obviously it's not his fault, but that's how he was taking it, and you can just tell how devastated he was because even he knows, and that's just a selfless... I mean, people say that he's such a selfish son of a bitch, this and that. No, he's not. He's one of the most selfless people that you'll ever come across, and... You could tell a lot of his disappointment stemmed from him knowing that he's not going to be able to provide Garrett Wilson with the season that he knew he was about to and just elevate Garrett Wilson to the level he was about to. I mean, you especially having Garrett Wilson as your fantasy pick, it's just... I mean, like, fuck the fantasy for a second. Yeah, for sure, but... but I agree with you, bro. Like, this was, like, such a hyped season for the Jets. They haven't had something like this in a long time. And just seeing that happen was just heartbreaking, you know, like you said. And, you know, hopefully Aaron Rodgers doesn't retire. I really do. I, I, I don't want to say that he will, but I, he might, bro. I don't. I Until he does, I'm going to say I don't think he will. Just because of that drive that he has in him. And he knows what he just missed out on. He really does. He knows that this is the biggest what if ever in all of sports, maybe. Facts, though. And Facts. And, yes, the only thing that's going to keep him from coming back is his body himself. Recovering from Achilles tear when you're three months away from turning 40 and it's a year-long recovery, the odds are stacked against him. Yeah. But if, for whatever reason, he's able to play again, he's going to. Mind, body, spirit. Bro. And if anybody's going to embody that, it's fucking Aaron Rodgers. Literally. <laughs> like the guy that took a P40 to elevate his game, fucking ayahuasca, two MVPs. I mean, the guy's a legend. Four MVPs. Four. Back-to-back four. MVPs, but four total MVPs. Excuse me. Four MVPs total. Yeah. But the dude's a, just a walking embodiment of football. He's the definition of football. The most talented passer at the ball I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, that that goes without saying. And I don't care who you throw out even, there. Even old football. heads, with no disrespect, are saying the only second that comes close to him is Dan Marino. And even just watching the highlights of Dan Marino, that only does so much justice than actually watching it in real, real live time. time. Yeah. It's... Man, Dan Marino, just, you, know, you know he can sling that rock, man. Yes. You know, legend of Miami as well. 100%. Do they have something left you into? Uh, we'll talk about that maybe later this year, but we'll get into this game. Josh Allen was throwing punts. Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. Brees Hall is a star. Uh, they won the game in the beautiful Jets defense, fashion. The Jets, I've said a lot of defenses are top five. I think I've said all top five defenses in this episode, but <laughs> the Jets defense will be a top three defense up there with the Dallas, up there with Baltimore. That is a legit defense. It might be even better than they were last year. And Seth Gardner didn't even have his best game last night. No, first game that he's allowed over 60 yards receiving on him. But, like, even then, that wasn't bad. They still won the game. Uh, Shout out to Jordan Whitehead. Three picks. Honestly, how can you not, like, kind of let up a little bit as a Jets player last night after, you know, losing Aaron Rodgers? You took that momentum hit. You took that ego hit. You're like, dude, that's my goddamn guy. Yep. That's my quarterback, bro, and he's, he's out for the year. Now we're going to go back to this fucking bust? Are you fucking kidding me? Bro, <laughs> dude, Peyton Manning was so furious with this, bro. Like, you could tell how pissed... I was watching, watching the, the Manning, Manning cast. cast. Yeah. You could tell how pissed off he was just at the situation because he's like, God, he's like... You know, just, you tell he's like, oh my God, my, that's my guy out there that just went got carted off. Now I got to watch this kid that can barely throw a 10-yard out route. Yeah. I, I don't want to see this. I didn't want to fucking cover this. I don't want to cover Zach Wilson for another fucking Monday night football game. Then once you really put in perspective just 
for the NFL as a whole and the sport and all the and all the network channels that had all these Jets games lined up and how much hype they were gonna be. You had the Jets playing KC this year. Oh my god. Um, the Jets and, the Jets and Miami games were supposed to be fucking amazing. And once again we're robbed of a Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes matchup for the oh last three god. years. No, not three years, but since Mahomes been in the league, they've been scheduled to play I think this year would have been the third time. No, fourth time actually. One was missed due to Rodgers' injury. One was missed, I think, to Rodgers having COVID. Then one was missed to Mahomes' injury. Then now, this Achilles tear. We're gonna miss out on it again. Wow. And it's it's just such a shame for the sport, for Aaron Rodgers, for the team, just all around. It's so fucking heartbreaking, man. But back to the game. Yeah, Josh Allen, man. What the fuck was that? It's terrible. It's really starting to show you how much of an impact. Yes, we were shitting on Dable and the coaching job of the Giants, but it shows you how much of an influence Brian Dable had on Josh Allen and his success. He still is the quarterback that's turned it over the most since he's been in the league in 2018. But these last last year alone, then this one game with Ken Dorsey as his new offensive coordinator, it's a night and day difference. And he's starting to sort of revert back to his old habits and his old bad decision making. And we're not seeing the same Josh Allen that we saw under Brian Dable's control as offensive coordinator. And it's really starting to put some things in perspective. And me personally, this is the last year for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, in that division, it still could be wide open because you really don't know what can happen with Tua at every given minute or any given minute. Don't know what's going to happen with Rodgers and this Jets team going forward. And the Patriots still have a big question mark on offense with Matt Jones, and it's still the Patriots. Yeah. You know, they're still going to be there and be competitive, but we really don't know what's going to happen with the offensive side of the ball. But this division is going to be wide open within the next year or so if the Bills don't take it this year and if Tua stays healthy Miami has their fingerprints right and now, their grasp all over this division right now it's Miami's yeah 100% yeah now for, thank God or we thank God for whatever reason that Aaron Rodgers come back next year it's a different story but as of now man this even with the Bills performance last night this division is, is Miami's but this this is the last year I'm giving Buffalo any type of like respect. hope or respect or anything yeah. like that man because there's they're still the most talented roster in this division and one of the most talented rosters in the AFC but year in and year out it's the same fucking thing man it really is and it's the same broken record yep and, and another one of those broken records is the lack of run the lack of run game year in and year out that's been the thing Josh Allen's our leading rusher Josh Allen's our leading rusher that's not gonna ever get us over the hump and we've seen that and last night, once again, they had 4.4 yards per carry, but a lot of that came from Josh Allen. Six carries, 36 yards. Their RB1, James Cook, who was supposed to be their big addition this offseason and was really going to come in and change the way that teams view the rushing attack of the Bills. Yeah. 12 carries, 46 yards. Nothing that's going to shut home about. It's been abysmal because I feel like they always force-feed Josh Allen the ball. Yep. And like you said, he's turned the ball over the most since 2018. I don't know what they're planning on doing with that. I don't know if they're going to make a run this year. I know they'll make the playoffs, probably a wild card appearance, but I just don't see them winning anything, bro. Like I, I don't trust Sam McDermott anymore. I just think things have kind of fallen out of control for them in the past two seasons, and yeah. we're seeing it more and more, bro. They struggled against the Jets, who typically they normally beat, but I know Zach Wilson has a good history against them, oddly enough, but... It's just one of those things where I expected more out of this team that has such high regards by the national media, by yep. everyone regarding you know Madden ratings, yep. you know, the top 100. Everyone dick rides the Bills. Everyone. You know, I'm not shitting on Bills fans, 
but everyone dick rides them. And they're never really that good when it comes down to... When, like, don't get me wrong, that one game against Patrick Mahomes with the 13 seconds or 12 seconds... That was one of the best things yes. I've ever laid... That was a spectacle. I mean, that was a masterpiece. If you didn't go insane in your living room, I don't know what you are. But I, I the fact that you couldn't seal the deal there, you're not going to seal it anywhere else, in my opinion. Like, that was your... That may have been their chance, bro. That that game may have been their one chance in the next 10 years because mm. it's closing. Their window yeah. is, it was huge. In 2020, it was huge. It was huge. It was wide open. Now yeah. it's a crack that you're barely getting a gust of wind through. So it's they're they're down to the wire there. And honestly, it's one of those things where Josh Allen. I, you know, I'm not saying that you know they're gonna trade him or anything, but they're, they're gonna there's gonna have to be a big change up there for them to see if they can revamp this thing and get it going. You know. I agree. Um, two questions though, I do want to pose to you before we wrap this up. One. I mean, I think it's an obvious answer, but you still have to ask it. <laughs> Between the two New York teams, New York Jets and New York Giants, after the weekend that both of them just went through, who am I taking? Who, who are you taking? Who are you feeling better about? And obviously, I mean, it's kind of hard to compare. This I'll, is I'll, let you, I'll, let you, I'll let you answer before I break it down more. This is going to shock you, but I'm going to take the Giants. I think they have a better quarterback, and I, I know people are going to shit on me for saying that, but yeah. Zach Wilson is a bust. I do not think he's ever going to be a good NFL quarterback. I'd love to see him hop in the USFL, gee shit, but I think Daniel Jones is a more refined quarterback. I like the coaching. Uh, I like Brian Dayball. So if, if I asked you what, what team are you more worried about or think the season's just over for each one of the team, are you sticking with the Giants or no? I, the season's over for the Jets, one hundred percent over for the Jets. They have a great defense, but they can make the playoffs with that. But they're not well, going to win a playoff game maybe. with Zach Wilson. They're not going they, to. They were in playoff contention last year, then they lost the last six games of the season and fell out of playoff contention. I agree with that same great defense and Zach Wilson. But with the addition of Delvin Cook, you know, yeah, Brees sure. Hall's back. I think they can rely on the running game. Maybe make a push, but they're not winning it. They're not winning yeah, a playoff no. game with Zach Wilson. He's not winning a playoff game. Now, when it comes to who am I more worried about right now, it's the Giants. They didn't mm. score a fucking point. So, I mean, I'm worried about them, but I think overall, like, obviously the Jets have a better roster, but they yeah. lost the focal point of the team. Like, mm. this new front face of the organization is now gone. Yep. The guy they were riding on, because they've had the same defense last yep. year. So they didn't get them, you know, where they wanted to go. So they added Aaron Rodgers and all of his buddies, which is great. But obviously, you know, subtract Aaron Rodgers. You have a guy that barely could do it, that got beat out by Mike White here and there. Yep. And, and you know, I'm not confident in that. I'd rather I'd rather ride my money on Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones getting their shit together. They did go eight and one last year. They made the playoffs. They beat the Vikings. I have hope in them um, because they just seem more. This sounds kind of might be a little crazy, but I maybe like their their coach more. Mm. I maybe like Brian Dayball more, and I, mean, I know I know this week one's one coach of the year. One's not. I know this week one performance was bad, but I think I have more faith in Dayball than Salah. Okay, answering that question for myself, I'm sort of right there with you. Obviously, like you got to look at the expectations for the two teams as well. The Jets they had Super Bowl aspirations, Super Bowl expectations. All that's just completely flushed down the drain now, and they have no chance of that whatsoever. No, honestly. no way. So if you look at it long term, the Jets are definitely the team that gets hit the most from this. With the Giants, all you gotta do is just sort of just put this behind you and just 
wipe wipe it clean and just start fresh again and just start week two and just zero zero next week. Don't, don't even think don't about even, record. Don't even think about this game at all the rest of the season. That's what you got to do. But I I don't know, man. I've never been the highest on Danny Dimes. He don't get me wrong. He looked great last season. I mean, that's just goes to Brian Dable again. Like I said, just making the most out of the quarterbacks that he has. But I just don't think he's anyone that's going to come. I mean, look at his division alone. He has to beat out Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott, which people feel the way about Dak Prescott, you know, obviously, but more so the Cowboys' defense than Dak Prescott. He obviously has to beat realistically one-on-one because it's not quarterback against quarterback. They have And obviously you just saw what happened last time he went up against that Giant or that Cowboys' defense. So in that division alone, man, you got to worry about two teams, and that Commanders' team is never an easy out either. Sam Howell and Matt Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, that's a good offense. And as much as I hate to say it, because I do really feel like the same way you do, I believe in the coaching staff of the Giants more than I do the coaching staff of the Jets. But I think last year was more so just like a a fairy tale season for the Uh. Giants. And I would be very shocked if they could replicate anything similar to that coming into this season. Because I think the Cowboys are a lot better than they were last season. Then the Eagles are even better than they were last season, too. Obviously, we didn't see it in the week one performance, but still week one. The same excuse we're giving to the Giants right yeah. now. we got to do the same excuse to the Eagles. And I'm going to be really curious to see and compare the records of the Giants and the Jets when the season's over, given what has happened to the Jets and given what just happened to the Giants in this week Put one matchup. Put a pin in that question, and, we'll, we'll revisit and, that. And also what I just said about the, the Giants as well. But I'm going to be really, really curious to see what the final records are for these two New York teams. I could see 8-9, and 9-8 nine, nine and eight for either or. Yeah. You know, one of those kind of weird really things. Can. But maybe less, 7-10. and 10. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm right there with you, man, honestly. Then, last question I want to pose to you. What do the Jets do at quarterback position? Do they... Do they I mean, Solid came out today and said Zach Wilson's the guy, but you're obviously going to say that recency bias. No. And we've seen it before where teams have said their quarterback's the guy, then they go sign someone or make a move weeks later. So do you go for a veteran quarterback? Do you see what's out there? You Obviously, you got to make your call, see what's out there. But what do I'm you, making what do you a call to one guy if, if it comes down to it. And this is going to be very controversial, and people are going to shit on me very heavily. But this is a guy that has the arm strength, has the ability to push the ball downfield, Honestly, he's a little older. He's not going to make those dumbass runs, put the ball in jeopardy. I would think not, but he hasn't proven me like that in the past year. Had a good year with Indianapolis two years ago, but I'm, I'm calling Carson Wentz. Mm. I, I'm actually calling Carson Wentz and just, I'm going to give you a fucking minimal ass deal. Come and prove it. Get some tape out there. That's, see if you can go somewhere else. That's actually else. one name I haven't heard get brought up. I've heard a lot of. See, one thing I was also going to ask you, like, do you. Do you scour other rosters and try to trade for a backup, no, no, or do you, no, you are you going for a free agent? Bro, they're gonna have to give up something because exactly. they know that they they know they need a quarterback. Exactly. So honestly, I'm going to grab a guy that like even like I'm not gonna sit there and say go try out Cam Newton. He might be way too. He out is of the it. name that's being brought in, of he course, is. just because it's fucking content and people bring race into it too. But Colin Kaepernick's agent apparently reached out, but I no don't 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 get him. I I like Carson Wentz for that fit, even if he's not gonna start immediately. Just let him. You know, sit behind Zach for two games while Zach throws five interceptions in two games. Like he's he's not good, guys. Like can we can we seriously stop? Can we stop with Zach Wilson? Like can we actually it's, stop, it's bro? It's the fucking pro day, bro. People it's, keep going back to the pro day, bro. I know he had flashy plays in preseason, but he's not good, guys. He's not a good quarterback. Stop, stop dick riding this man. Like he's not okay. He's not good. 
Like, it's enough, right? Like, we have to stop. He's not going to take over for Aaron Rodgers and do what Aaron Rodgers would have done this year. He's not going to do anything close to that. He has similar numbers to Jamarcus Russell. Mm. So let's just chill. Let's mm. all chill and, like, stop. Zach Wilson is not the answer for the Jets. He will not be the answer for any NFL organization. And I'm not saying Carson Wentz is either, but he's a guy that I feel like could literally get you the same production, if not better, out of that. I, you know? I honestly agree. I think that's the smart logical then, choice. If, especially if you're looking at the rest of the free agent pile. Joe Flacco, Matt Ryan, Colt McCoy, Cam Newton, Brett Hundley. No, bro. None as, of those guys. As far as yes. what you have in that handful, Carson Wentz is by far the foregone conclusion in that. Yeah. Colt McCoy would be my second option. Honestly. As a backup, yeah. Just somebody to come in there and his veteran, he knows what's going to be asked of him. He's mature. He's more of like, obviously Zach Wilson's an adult, but as far as like NFL terms, he's more of an adult than Zach Wilson is. At that point, just go get Joe Flacco then, you know what I'm saying? There you go. You I mean, bring him back with the Jets. And you know, I, I really do like that Carson Wentz. I, I think he could well. be looked at. That's one name I just completely forgot about. No one was saying anything about. Some people were even saying like trading for a Gardner Minshew or something like that. No. But then, like you said, you had to give up something. Then you're gonna get fleeced because they're just gonna hang it over your head and play hard to get. And yeah. I I honestly do like that Carson Wentz one a lot. But yeah, there's there's no way at all the Jets ride out this season with Zach Wilson. If they they have, can't. If they want any type of just grab graspable, if that's even a word, success. In this division, if they want even a sniff of the playoffs, they they are not starting Zach Wilson past week five. Mm. They need to make a decision probably now. Yeah, like probably like in the now, next couple of days. They have already said as far as just this next week goes against the Cowboys, Zach Wilson is their starting quarterback. They're not going to make any changes. <laughs> but honestly, they're going to after this game. No, after this game, yeah. But I wouldn't want to bring in some free agent quarterback. Going into this Cowboys defense anyways Facts. and throwing them into that. It's their first game. So I'd rather just let Zach Wilson take his beating. Cause, dude, that's going to be fucking... Dude, it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> I'm I was, benching Garrett Wilson probably. I was looking at the over-under for that game already. And I think... I'm gonna pull it. I think it was 40, the over-under for that game. Oh my god. And actually, I'm not, no, no, I scratched that. It hasn't come out yet. The over-under hasn't. The over -under hasn't come out yet. But what I was thinking to myself is... I don't know if I want to just hammer that under. Or take the over because the Cowboys defense might score the over themselves on Zach Wilson. Honestly, I would probably take the over confidently because the Cowboys <laughs> would probably... And I don't, I'm not saying they're going to shit all over the Jets defense, but I think Zach Wilson is going to have a pick six, now, maybe a fumble. you say that, but the over-under for the Cowboys-Giants game was 44. It was 44. And the Cowboys scored 40 alone. You needed the fucking Giants to make one touchdown and you would have hit the over on that. If it's anything like that with the Jets team, and I get shafted on that over because of that, but I just thought that was funny because I really like, damn, I want to hit the under on that because the Jets aren't going to score shit. The Cowboys yeah. might just get up and let off the gas because I don't think their defense and special teams is going to score 21 points again. You never know. Um, <laughs> but then at the same good. time, like their defense might fucking hit the over alone with that Jets O-line and who's playing quarterback because I think... That Jets situation might be worse than that Giants situation that the Cowboys just Now that we're talking against. about it, yeah. That O-line was just as bad, if not worse, than the Giants O-line. It sent Aaron Rodgers home for the season. In four plays. Yeah. In four plays. I'm, I can't imagine what that... I'm not going to look for I'm anyone at a, I'm stopping. At a of, I'm at a loss of words that... And we'll definitely, to... you know, touch up on that game in our, you know, week two recap next Tuesday night. And these episodes will be posted every Wednesday morning, so stay tuned weekly for that. 
Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms at Tea Time Reports on Instagram, Twitter, X slash Twitter, excuse me, uh, Threads and TikTok and sub to our YouTube channel. We have a lot more content coming out on there, um, hopefully very shortly. And Brandon, is there anything else you kind of wanted to wrap up with here? No, I'm just going to save it all for my Bears package. Yeah, no, you have, I'm sure you have a lot to vent, yeah, if you will. I still have a lot of built-up anger, depression, misery inside <laughs> of me. But, no, this was a great episode, man. We, no, we yeah. really knocked this out of the ballpark. And it's kind of crazy to think that this took us two hours. Imagine if we would have had, like, Caden and Logan and everyone oh, else on here. three hours, probably, <laughs> bro. I mean, hey, that's content, though. So make sure you guys stay tuned to that for sure. Yeah, and, and like we talked about, you know, when we talk about probably every episode, every every download, you know, whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, all that support and, you know, showing like showing the appreciation of all of our work is greatly appreciated by the team here. Um, it just show, it just shows, you know, the hard work is paying off. We're reaching people, trying to teach people, build a community, be genuine and authentic with, you know, people across the globe and connect, you know, play connect the dots, if you will, on the, on the map. So it's kind of fun to talk about things we love and enjoy and are passionate about with uh, people all around, all around the world, in a sense, get to share that. And, you know, it's pretty awesome. So, again, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of our NFL Week 1 uh, recap of the 2023 NFL season. We'll have a lot more of this content coming out weekly, like I said. And, Brandon, thanks for hopping on this episode. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. And we have a lot more to discuss. And make sure you're uh, keeping an eye out for the Windy City Reports episodes as well, guys. Take care, everyone. Peace.